Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. What's good, Internet? It's Monday, March 23rd, 2020, and you are listening to Waypoint Radio, episode 301. I'm your host, Austin Walker, and I'm joined by Rob Zachney. How's it going? I'm sorry. I'm just staring <laughs> dumbstruck at Twitter today. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh-huh. Today? Patrick, just today? Just today. Patrick Klepek. We just had to do 300 episodes to summon a new Half-Life game. So 300 to go, and then who, what, what do we need to put three? in the summoning circle next? <laughs> what, what? We'll, yeah, well, <laughs> oh, God. This is what it's cost the world to get half the next Half-Life game. I don't know what uh, the next numbered sequel, if we'll have what it takes. Kato, here on the line with us. Hi. And Hi. special guest, <laughs> Emmanuel Myberg, joining us from... I almost said Motherboard HQ, but is that just partially your bedroom now? What what's it is, this? yeah. Motherboard HQ is the uh, is is my bedroom now. There's various parts here. of Brooklyn. Dude, that's yeah. always been the administrative headquarters of Motherboard. <laughs> Given the timing of emails and the content about like payroll follow up and such, <laughs> yeah. Like my, my suspicion is like Motherboard like administrative command is pretty much right there, possibly in that bed. This is the Politburo kind of uh, <laughs> part of the administration. Yeah, I got you. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, well, we had you on partially because of what we kind of said up top, which is there is a new fucking Half-Life game. And I think, Rob, you suggested <laughs> Emmanuel as as the office's foremost, the, the uh, in-office foremost Half-Life fan and expert. I'm not putting Patrick out, but Patrick isn't, you know, in the office. I guess no one's in the office right now. So what the fuck <laughs> yeah, am I talking about? Fucking- but but that Emmanuel also has a history with with the Half Life series and with Half Life Alex, uh, uh, the embargo coming down. I think as we speak, right? It's like just about now. It's a couple hours from now from where we're recording. Um, okay, but uh, it'll it'll probably happen at some point during the recording of this podcast. Um, uh, I felt like you know I agreed with Rob that maybe you should come on and and we could all grill Patrick about Half Life Alex. Half Life Emmanuel's. Let's just be clear. Emmanuel's the Half Life stand who then messaged me this morning and said, "Hey, I'm not going to play this for like a year because you just spoiled the ending for me." Which yeah. I've been proceeding <laughs> to do. That's a type of stand. That's that's you know, it's not not everyone. Has I to respect it. I respect themselves. it. I was like, look, it's going to get spoiled for you anyway. Why not right. get spoiled early? Oh, I by think- a friend. I think Austin is also like this, but I I am not like a spoiler person. I just like want to know the information. I don't care, especially knowing that I won't be able to play it for a very long time. Yeah. I really really want yeah. to know uh, what happened. In the See, that's the yeah. anti-fascist position. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah. If I know I'm not going, if it's something that's like on my horizon and I'm going to like get to it in the near future, I'd rather not know because I'd rather I'd rather see how they they lay things out. But mm-hmm. if I know like. Or if I only – if it's actually the opposite for me. It's just like if I only care about something a little bit, I want those spoilers instantly. When like 
uh, Avengers Endgame came out, give me those spoilers. I got to know immediately. <laughs> I don't really care about this, but I kind of care about it. I want to know. I'm just, you know, that curiosity. But then, but then Star Wars came along, and Austin is shaking his stick in our Discord channels. I'm like, shut <laughs> the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! I want to. I want to suffer and how by myself. Great, great. I only had to suffer once. The one time I went to see the movie instead of sitting on those feelings and then also seeing the movie. Uh, It was bad. That movie fucking sucks. Uh, Talk to me about Half-Life, Alex. Uh, Patrick. (laughs) You were referring to someone named Alex. Alex Talk to me about, hey, Alex. (laughs) What's up with (laughs) Half-Life? Yeah, Half-Life Alex uh, is Valve's new uh, VR game. Um, it is a prequel uh, set between the events of uh, – before the events of Half-Life 2. Um, so it uh, is not something that uh, immediately picks up on what people have been waiting more than a decade for. I think what uh, – Episode 2 came out in 2007, I want to say. Uh, that's right. Um, in which, you know, uh, in terms of all-time uh, – cliffhangers you know episode two sets the the bar pretty high especially given the fact that they just walked away from answering it after announcing a sequel that they fully intended to to, to, um uh, presumably to finish out and it didn't happen and so um in a time since where uh valve has not really touched half-life at all you know sort of sort of like um as i put in my review like at a certain point it seemed like half-life episode three became half-life three through sheer distance um, and at the point that it became Half-Life 3, like what that needed to be, given the the burden of expectations that Valve has put on themselves for like each iteration, right? Like Half-Life 1, it's one of its great, you know, sort of quote innovations was, you know, like a sort of cinematic flair. Like it felt like you were playing a story, like you were in a real world in a, in a shooter that was mostly dominated by games like Doom and Quake and stuff like that. And then Half-Life 2, you know, making it, ah, it's physics is redundant, but it it's, that game is built around certain like core ideas that it builds out from there. And so then the question seemed to always become, well, what is Half-Life 3 if it can't just be, oh, we're finishing out the lore. That seems like that wouldn't um, be enough. And so Alex um, sort of hits a, a reset button, um, not in a uh, sort of like lore sense. It is very much still set in this world. But it takes a lot of canonical aspects of Half-Life, you know, the the, cha- the like the very like iconic chatter of Combine Soldiers or the Headcrab Creature and tries to drop them in a totally different context. Because what do you do with something that, an audience is deeply familiar with. And now it's not just like familiar because they played games, but like it's like Half-Life is in some ways like this ancient institution that is looked back on and revered. And that is, I think, you know, I think has been part of the reason Valve has avoided it because how do you answer that? And Alex's answer is basically like, what if we hit the reset button and recontextualized how people experience this world, which gives us a chance to play with it differently than just what, Half-Life uh, 3 would have been, which is just, oh, it's just like a higher fidelity, like more levels, more lore. Like Alex sits and hits that reset button by putting you into the world through a VR headset mm. and changing the context in which your actions play out in, in the world itself. And I think it's Do very think good. That's that's a good thing to hear, given the, the, the kind of uh, rhetorical stakes of it. I, I've always had kind of a weird a weird thing with Half Life, which is that it it is it has such a a, a rabid fan base. It has such a, a fan base with such high expectations that really 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 loves the game, but also it never saw the sort of cultural penetration that like Call of Duty Modern Warfare did. 
right? It never had the the like this has taken over games in the as a as the game that people go and buy. It's, it does not have Grand Theft Auto numbers. Um, and well, it yet, didn't consoles like re, I mean, there were console ports of Half Life. Yes. like Half Life One came to the Dreamcast. Um, but it like the you know the orange box was a huge fucking deal at the time because it was like oh shit like I can play Half Life on my console which seems like in 2020 where everything comes out <laughs> everywhere at the same time seems like quaint but was like it's easy to forget the like how big of a deal the orange box was at the time and that's what makes the lack of an episode three all the like wilder right. so like cool Half Life is having its moment like here comes the next one and then just. <laughs> Well, and this is going in the opposite direction in a sense, right? Because Emmanuel's not going to play this for a year. I don't think I'm going to play this ever, probably, based on how sick I get in, in VR most of the time. Um, this is going to an even more limited audience in some ways. Do you think that, like, having played through it, do you think that, like, this is a – the vision here was strong enough that they should have focused and, and built this cool VR game over figuring out some other Half-Life side story that, like, Emmanuel could play today? Or you think it was just gonna, off the? You think that was just like impossible at this point, given the, the expectations? Yeah, it's a hard, you know, you know, I can't, I can't, you know, I haven't done like the reporting to like, you know, but I think you could like from an outside outsider looking in, it definitely seemed like they were paralyzed in and in, uh, in terms of what they should or shouldn't make, and then just chose to not make it. And Alex, I think, sidesteps that by saying, "What if we could basically start um, from scratch?" And right. I, I was skeptical of the. I was not skeptical that they couldn't make something cool in VR. I've played. I'm a huge VR advocate. I I love playing in VR. So I was I was the kind of you know when they said RE7 was going to be you know uh, I played all of RE7 in VR and I think it's a better game in VR. I think it's a much scarier game uh, in in VR. Um, so I was excited to see what Valve would do in there. But like I was concerned, like you, that oh well, it's kind of a bummer. Like there are tons of fans who have waited so long to return to this world and absent a expensive headset even in the most you know the rosy the rosiest scenario of using even the cheaper of the headsets it's still buying another console basically yeah. to attach to a pc that needs to be um decently high end you know uh I, mine ran okay on low <laughs> settings like vr gets away with low fidelity because of the way you interact with those worlds it doesn't sure. need to be um like at ultra settings to be uh beautiful like alex is a beautiful game and i played it on because, uh, you know, even with the index, I played on Valve's high-end headset. It's still pixelated, right? Like, they have the nicest, glossiest screen. But you can still tell if you squint, like, ah, yeah, like, it's not crystal clear like I'm looking at a, you know, a television set. Um, but I think the gamble uh, pays off. You know, I I, I think um, it, it absolutely works. I know, Emmanuel, you've been trying to jump in here a couple times with. I was just, uh, I was trying to respond to Austin's comparison to Call of Duty. And mm. I would say that, um I would argue that Half-Life had similar penetration if you count Counter-Strike, which to me sure. was always like the multiplayer, like the real multiplayer mode for Half-Life. And also Half-Life DM was just there because that's all that was in the box. And I loved going around <laughs> spray painting decals uh, right. <laughs> around environments. But uh, Counter-Strike is actually uh, Half-Life's multiplayer mode. <laughs> right. And Half-Life 2 also had uh, a, a weird deathmatch mode that I actually messed around with a bunch because you could kill people by throwing toilets at them or uh, crushing right, them you could bring The gravity gun was like one of the main ways to, to play in that. Yeah. yeah. That was really neat. I mean, it was I pretty think fun. It's even, yeah. I think but it's I fair to go the, broad. Yeah, something... Go ahead, Rob. Yeah, I do think something weird happened with uh, just the cultural moment where 
games began to penetrate mainstream culture more around the time the orange box came out. Modern Warfare was the one that became this like phenomenon that a lot of like becomes a thing that mainstream media even pay attention to. People make like reference to it. Uh, but the weird thing is just because the way the timing worked out, yeah. I do feel like it was Portal that ended up having the slight yeah. like the slightly greater cultural uh, you know mm-hmm. cachet than Half Life. I think in part because Half Life Episode Two was really really good. Uh, maybe like the most distilled Half-Life experience they they ever made, but it was still like episode two, right? Like yeah, I had to get through that. I had to get through that that boat section of Half-Life episode, <laughs> Half-Life Two first to get there, and I just did in two thousand seven because in two thousand seven I could go play Bioshock and Call of Duty Modern Warfare, and then in two thousand eight I could I could go play Far Cry Two. Like and and actually, ironically, maybe this is the blessing of Half-Life is. Neither of them – it didn't become either Bioshock or Far Cry, right? Like when you look at the first-person shooter franchises of 2007, 2008, you look at Bioshock, Call of Duty, uh, uh, Far Cry, and and Half-Life. Half-Life is the one that like – you know, it ends gracefully. It ends before its really ludicrous final season. <laughs> Meanwhile, Far Cry has become this terrible like existential threat to good grace – and then smart writing. Like it's a it's a nightmare series at this point. And maybe maybe Gabe Gabe and them made the right call. We're like, you know what, let's pump the brakes on this. We can't go down this road. Yeah, and uh so one thing I want to make clear that I, I've watched the trailers, I read a couple of interviews, but I wasn't like following Alex very closely because um I am someone that like enjoys the surprise and is spoiler averse um, because I, I just enjoy experiencing things in the moment. So if there's something that I'm really excited for, I don't go all like trailer blackout, but I wasn't like, like going out of my way to consume everything I could read about what Alex was and what to expect. Um, and I like this is a horror game. Like it's not um, there are moments you spend like above the surface and in the sun and you fight some combine soldiers, but like. 90, 90% of this game is a, is as though a bunch of folks uh, looked at Ravenholm and said, you know, it'd be good if we just made like a whole game based on Ravenholm. And, that would be good. Yeah, it would be. And this is great. <laughs> That's the best like, part I mean, of that game. There are uh, sequences in this game. And I, you know, I'm a horror aficionado. I have seen it all. It takes a lot to get under my skin. It's part of why I like horror in VR because the way it, Drops you into these worlds, like takes things that uh, otherwise would not be necessarily scary on a screen, or you know, even though I have a big projector in my house, like it's like I've seen it enough times. Once you put it in VR, even simple familiar things become terrifying all all over again. And um, I don't want to spoil what exactly happens, but there is a the uh, the introduction of a specific. Uh, enemy type, the sort of like tarantula head crab, I guess it's like the poison head crab, but it's like the head crab that has little hairs coming out of it and acts even more spider-like um, than the than the normal head crab is, uh, I, was, I had to, I had to physically calm myself down. Like I had to like, I had to like slow my breathing. I had to like audibly tell myself like, everything's fine. You're okay. Like you're playing a video game. Um, it was just un- unbelievable terror. And those moments are are, are frequent. Um, it's because like how they recontextualize everything was they slowed it they slowed it all down. And a horror game gives you a chance to just like s- slow the pace down. And, and VR works best at at slower paces because 
especially in a game where you are uh, you're moving constantly. So there are a couple different uh, what are they called locomotion options, um, but basically how you move around in the space. I stuck with the default. I didn't even fuck around with the other ones. The, oh, the, wow. the one that is the default is you point um, at the ground and a little you know icon shows up of your feet. You can ch- uh, twist the controller so you can you can always be sure where you're going to be facing when that teleportation happens. Um, something Alex does that not every game that has teleportation does is that it you actually f- see yourself move in that direction like you don't just like blink and then you're there like you do but you actually see yourself move through that space it's very subtle but if you pay attention to like what's happening there it eliminates a lot of the disorientation and uh nausea that would normally go along with a system like that and not every every game includes the ability to change your uh perspective i think it's also like a limitation of controllers too i don't I, I think everything that it's compatible with, I put, I put it in an index, but it'll work on a wide variety of headsets. But, you know, it's like you can aim across the room and make sure that you're, because like, let's say you see an enemy that you want to immediately line up and start shooting at. You can see that little uh, animated f- uh, foot uh, appear at the other side of the screen, twist your hand so that you're facing to the right so that you can like immediately pull out your gun uh, and shoot. Um, and all that stuff works fine. It's a little awkward. It's like weird during like chase sequences. There's only like a couple of them, but like there's like one in particular towards the end where you're like running through a bunch of buildings that are blowing up and it's just like point, go, point, go, yeah. point, go. Like it just loses a little bit. Of, like it's one of the few sequences of the game where I went, all right, you guys didn't really totally think through like how this feels in the moment. Like a storyboarded, I see how this, oh, this whatever is is attacking me. And like, I, it's, it sounds bombastic. And in, in the moment it was just kind of like, Yep, I'm just I'm just scooting through here, like um, uh, as I as I make my way to the other end. But um, you know, like like the way I in my review I tried to capture how they recontextualize things is like the head crab. Um, so that is like if you were to other than the crowbar, um, or I guess you know like a there's a lot of iconic imagery from from Half Life, even if you don't play the series. Um, but the head crab is is very much one of them, and like the moment like any horror villain like. At the moment they're making plush dolls of you, like the familiarity has reached a point <laughs> where you're no longer scary anymore. Mm-hmm. And like the head crab, conceptually scary, right? A, a little spider-like flesh monster that uh, rears its uh, uh, its arms up, leaps at you so that it can attach itself to your brain and suck your brain juice is scary on paper. But when you've fought, you know, thousands of them at this point, like it sort of loses its its luster in game, no matter what kind of fidelity you, you attach to it and what kind of production values. And so what happens in, in Alex is, well, suddenly now you're not aiming a cursor or a reticle attached to a gamepad. Like you're, 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 you're putting your, your hand up to aim. And the pistol that you get at the start of the game where before there's any upgrades attached to it um, is very difficult to aim. You were, I for sure thought I had my shots lined up and no and it it, at times it was frustrating but it was a kind of good frustrating because it reflected a character alex who was just getting kind of thrown into the shit and not a seasoned soldier this is just someone who is just getting by in city 17 and so you missing shots makes some sense um and uh when you encounter like say a head crab you know they're skittering towards you and you have about a second second and a half before they leap at you and what will often happen is you're like, cool, it takes about three or four shots to put one of them down. It's like you line it up, like chink, chink, chink. It's like, oh, uh, I double two of my shots landed, but the third one didn't. I need to reload. 
that thing is now screaming at you through the sky. And as opposed to being a, a monitor that's, you know, a foot away or a television that's hanging on your wall, like it's this screen that is plastered to your face. And it's like much different <laughs> to have something that wants to suck your brain juice um, leaping at your ac- your actual face. Um, and the extension of that for the sort of like interactive elements is, okay, so let's say uh, you manage to get away, right? Like you turn away, you teleport to the side, you're now hiding behind a wall. You can hear it skittering off in the distance. Like, okay, I need to reload. Well, you don't hit R, there's, you hit a button that drops a clip to the ground. Then you take your hand and you put it physically behind your back. You you grab your back to pull out a clip. You take that clip, you shove it in to, to the gun. You're like, cool, I'm ready to go. Well, occasionally you're going to actually have to pull back on the, what do they call it? The chamber? The, slip? The, the receiver? The receiver, you know, the slide. thing. You, the, slide the, slide, right. the slide. The slide. The slide is right. The slide is right. Um, and so it's like you'll put in that magazine and more more than once I would turn around to to line up and shoot. Click, 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 like nothing's nothing's coming out. Oh, fuck, because I didn't pull back the slide. And so it's like teleport away, like try and dodge out of that head crab, going for my face again. Pull back the slip, turn over, like fire the shots. It's just that physicality is uh, a huge part of what makes combat work. Combat is like brief, fleeting, and terrifying. It like Encounters are meant to be something that you dread. Encounters are meant to be something that you're not excited for. And they just do, the, the pacing of the game is terrific. I... I'm so like loath to spoil some of like the mechanical surprises of how they uh, find ways to keep you on, on your toes. You know, there's, you know, there for I guess in the vaguest possible way, there's sort of like a tyrant type enemy that you encounter at one point who you you cannot kill, but you can only distract with noise. And so you're spending a lot of your time grabbing bottles and like trying to accomplish tasks while. D- Turning your like physically like let's say holding with your left hand onto uh, some object that you're interacting with, turning your whole body around, holding a bottle in your right hand, lining up how you're going to throw this over into the corner to distract it, turning back, interacting with this object for another half second or so, turning back around, and one of the main interaction elements in the game is uh, this has been featured in other VR games. It's not new to to Alex, but basically you have these like, gravity gloves and you objects in the environment you can interact with start to hover or color orange. And so, and also that it vibrates. So you'll always know like things you can interact with and you, um, you hold the trigger button and then you flick the, the controller to you and it comes over to you and you have to physically grab it in the air. It doesn't automatically go to your hand. And so you'll be like watching this creature stalk you screaming and then you're throwing these bottles to distract it. And if it gets too close to you, but close enough that it hasn't detected you, it, gives out these spores that make you cough. And the way you stop yourself from coughing is by physically putting your hand up to your mouth. And so there are sequences where you're trying to sneak around this creature and um, the flashlight is attached to your, well, in my case, I'm right-handed, so it's in my left hand. I think it switches up based on your your hand orientation. But like, try to imagine where, okay, I've got my right hand over my mouth and I'm uh, I'm covering. I've got my left hand with the flashlight and then I'm slowly like moving around and like having to keep covering my mouth so my character doesn't cough so I don't alert this creature. And it's just, there are just so many moments like that throughout where they they just thought, they were so thoughtful about what does it mean to be in this world? What does it mean when we're giving you these different interaction tools? What are the new verbs you're going to have? And this game just didn't, it takes a lot of existing verbs from 
VR games, like it feels like a culmination of a lot of work that has happened collectively in VR design over the last couple of years and then polishes them and puts them in really cool design spaces uh, in a way that's just, this game doesn't, you, you put this in a keyboard and mouse, like the game doesn't work. Like it just absolutely doesn't. It would be beautiful. It'd be fun to run around in like from an aesthetic standpoint, but mechanically it would fall apart. Um, it's just, it's not tuned to that. Um, and, and, and there's really just nothing like another sequence I described in the review was um, like tossing grenades is just such an incredible thing because it's like you're throwing little bowling balls and like Oof. you're like leaning around corners, like tossing these grenades. Like there was this one sequence where I was uh, scaling a building, like, you know, kind of shuffling along the, the side. And then you get up to a window and there's two handles. So I pull the pull the handles up. There's three zombies inside. They turn around and look at me and I shove that those handles down. I'm like, <laughs> OK, what the fuck am I going to do here? It's like, OK, OK, OK. Um, I got a grenade. OK, so I, I pull the grenade out. I I. Uh, I, I crouch down physically. I crouch down in in my uh, uh, in my office, and then pull them up. Click the button that uh, triggers the grenade. Lightly toss it in. Close close the the window back down, and then like back off so I can like avoid some of like the grenade damage that like can sometimes uh, bleed through the window. Um, and it's just stuff like that that there there are a billion of those moments like scattered throughout. And a lot of them are going to depend on the way the physics work in or not in your favor. I mean, there's nothing cooler than a combine soldier throwing a grenade at you, catching it midair and like just tossing it back at them. Like <laughs> other games have had that, but it's so different to do it with your hand. Um, so yeah, that's, it's very good. <laughs> Rob looked euphoric for a moment during some of that description. <laughs> Even thoughts to add Rob? Well, no, I mean the, the, the bit about uh, having to like, suppress a cough is kind of a brilliant touch, but I'm also like, does it, the the thing that I have trouble wrapping my mind around around, or that I need you to reassure me, or I just need to play this thing for myself is like little things like that. Does that feel like okay, this is kind of goofy artifice, this is dumb, or does it put you more in the moment to be like walking around with your hand in front of your mouth while this thing is hunting you? Like, do you feel like you're inhabiting the character more, or does it feel like a goofy? No, bit it's of goofy, artifice? but in a good way. It's see, if it's them acknowledging like some of the the like the, the the design like potential space of VR but they don't overdo it right no. this is not something you do constantly you do it a handful of times so that the they they sort they correctly identify what things are novel simply for the the sake of being novel because of what you're doing physically and then what is novel and that is like really fun to play with over and over again right so like also in the review is this sequence where um there's no way to get forward except for um, there's a bunch of explosives in another room and there's a vent that leads into that room. And in front of you are like 15 grenades. And it's like, why are there 15 grenades here? And it's like, oh, because I need to throw this grenade into that vent, which sounds like you've done this in a video game plenty of times. You just aim that cursor. But really what you need to do is accomplish a free throw. Like you're stepping up to the line and you're shooting. Like I was <laughs> thinking back to being in elementary school and like, all right, how do you, you have to line your, your, your elbow up and then you just kind of flick your wrists like this in order to get the arc properly. And you, I, I'd shoot it and just watch it like, cause you'd have to trigger it first. Right. So I'm like clink and like red blink, blink, blink. And I'm like one, two, whoop. 
and then just like watch it like arc way too high, very familiar to me as an elementary <laughs> school basketball player, and just like clink off of the backboard and like fall harmlessly on the ground. And I sat there shooting like 10 grenades and just laughing the entire time. I was like, oh, they correctly identified how goofy this is, but how like how much of a delight it is to do as the player. And they downplay the, the stuff that is outright gimmicky. Like, yeah, the cough thing, if that was all the time, you I probably did it. 10 times in the game for like five seconds in, in a moment. Like it is, it is, it is exceedingly brief. Um, but they recognize what's like inherently interesting about it without over harping on it. That is, uh, it, it seems, it seems interesting. I'm, I'm one of the things that hearing you talk about all this kind of brought into, into relief for me and has made me curious is like, is this the moment we're going to end up having a larger conversation around VR and disability? Because earlier I was like, oh, Emmanuel can't afford no, – I'm not dragging your, your finances. I'm like, Emmanuel doesn't have a, <laughs> a, an elite VR setup. I could plug my Quest in, but that would be a, a worse experience uh, because it's a Quest and not the Index. And also I get sick. I mean, maybe. I don't know. Like I, I didn't touch any of them. Like I, I'll be curious in the reviews and – Right. Uh, yeah. Who knows? Well, I, 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 sorry. This isn't like, even my point. Like, my my yeah. point isn't yeah, know, about know, that. Yeah. Like like regardless, I can't. I have a hard time playing VR games because I right. get a, like motion sick pretty quickly. Um, but there's an entire there. Are, there's a huge population of people who presumably have figured out ways to play Half Life that were not necessarily intended by Valve, using different input method uh, mechanisms, using mods, using other stuff for whom VR is just like motion controls aren't on the table for them. And I'm curious right. to see if this, if this creates that conversation because I've been, I've been wondering if that conversation would happen at some point anyway. Um, but this seems to be like the sort of game that the stories you told are so exciting and it sucks that there's like a huge audience that just is like, no, I'm not going to have access to this thing. And that's not a drag on valve or anything necessarily, but it is just, I wanted to voice it because it's at the forefront of my thought right now. Um, yeah, I'm not, um, I didn't, there are accessibility options in the game. I didn't, you know, I can't speak to those. I didn't spend a huge amount of time, um, playing with, with the options there. My hope would be right. Is that, um, it starts the conversation in a direction of like, right. okay, so like valve, like made a baseline of like, this is what we were going for in the game. This is what we wanted to accomplish. And then hopefully what would happen next is a conversation of like, okay, so this is sort of like the baseline experience of like what we designed around so we could build the game. Now we start building in a structure that allows you to interact with the game, you know, differently, you know, that is accommodating of, of whatever of you other need. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so I would hope, I, you know, I don't, it's you interesting know, it's, there's just, I, I can think of all sorts of different like, possible types of accommodation that range from adjusting how much you're like, cause right now it's trying to map your hands one-to-one, right? Mm -hmm. But I could imagine a world in which, hey, maybe you don't need to rotate your, your arm all the way to make this rotate as much as you need to in the game. There are, there are ways to, to start trying to tackle those things. And I'm curious if Valve or someone else will. Um, the other thing that came to mind here is going back to something Emmanuel said, um, which is that if you count Counter-Strike as Half-Life 1's multiplayer, it had a huge impact. And it's not just Counter-Strike, right? Like, it was Counter-Strike, Day of Defeat, Team Fortress Classic, the Specialists, um, uh, what's Day the... Day of Defeat the, was like the World War One, The mod, ship, right? yeah, World yeah, World the II? ship, yeah. which is like not even a combat game. Um, in a way, the thing that Half-Life 1 did was become a platform, which Valve has become 
very comfortable being. That is <laughs> what they are. They're, they're a company that is more platform than game developer. The developer at this point. I'm curious if there is any signal that this would be a platform in the same way in terms of mod support or have they communicated anything around what the future of Half-Life Alex is or like is it is it the next thing? Is it going to be source for VR, you know? I, I know that there's a lot of excitement. Uh, I remember when this was announced, there was that was one of the issues is that um, or there was hope that by Bal getting so behind this and getting Source 2 behind this, that that was going to open up a lot of doors uh, in, in that way. I, I think that what they have said is that like mod support is something they actively are going to add into Alex. But the last I had read, and I, I might be, uh, again, because I wasn't like closely following the game on, on purpose, but my I remember from a number of interviews, it, it sounded like, look, you know that we're historically a, a, a studio that supports their stuff for a long, long time, all that stuff is coming. It'll get proper mod support. You're going to be able to like fuck around with this in the way that you've fucked around with all of our games in the past. It's just not necessarily all going to be there like day, day one. And so I do think there is a timeline to getting that stuff in there because that would be incredibly cool. Like just people making additional maps and scenarios and like just, just taking the framework of what's here. Like there are incredible things that people could do, um, with this, with this baseline that I would be really excited to, to see people unpack. But I, I don't know that that's – it seems like that's in their their plans but not necessarily uh, there on, on day one. I do want – one of the things that's interesting that's in – I didn't play with this because um, my computer st- struggled already with the performance uh, sometimes, uh, let alone uh, streaming it at the same time. But it has actual – I'm sure this is true of other VR games, um, but, you know, like Spectator – Setting So like they actually redesigned the UI. So the UI that is broadcasted to a stream is different than the broad the UI that is broadcast to the player, because a lot of what's happening for the player is, oh, I can glance down at my wrist and see like through the cor- I don't have to glance down. I can look through the corner of my eye and see what my wrist uh, help, your wrist is uh, on your left hand is where like your health meter is. But the person watching that through the POV on the stream can't see all of that visual data because it's only showing you like a 16 by nine, you know, like uh, what's in front of them. So they remapped the UI. So it looks like more like traditional half-life, you know, just flat 2d UI elements. And that's what the streamer sees uh, or the streaming audience sees. And it's fundamentally different than what the, uh, the, the player sees. So, you know, stuff like that is, is pretty interesting and smart. And I'm, I'm curious to see what people uh, end up uh, doing with it. Patrick, uh, as a mm. Half-Life fan and someone who's been waiting uh, to go back into this world well, in a new call, way. Well, give me, give me, give me two seconds. We're actually pause this podcast for two seconds. <laughs> if we're pausing, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Is that cool? Yeah, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> in fact, let's just take a quick break. We come back. We'll talk some more about Half-Life, uh, both Alex and I suspect Black Mesa, because I know Emmanuel's been playing that. Um, and then, and then some other stuff. Maybe Kato and I can do an Animal Crossing check-in. So we will be right back. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. 
For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. All right, we're back with more about Half-Life. Uh, Emmanuel, what was, your, what was your, your question there before we had to take a quick break? Yeah, so I think this is probably a a basic question, so I apologize if it is, but I think it's what every Half-Life uh, fan is wondering who can't play this game right now, and that is the mythology around uh, Half-Life and Valve as a game developer is basically that the reason we haven't seen a new Half-Life game is that uh, Valve didn't feel... Like they had a sufficiently revolutionary idea to support uh, the continuation of the uh, brand, the franchise. Uh, And it's like the first game was revolutionary in the way that it told stories. uh, And the second game was revolutionary in its... uh, graphical fidelity at the time, the physics, stuff like that. I don't necessarily buy that narrative. Like, I don't think those games were as revolutionary as people say. I think they're, like, I love them. They're very good. But I don't think that's, like, the appeal. But now that we do have a new game, do you feel like, did they find, is this Does it feel revolutionary or is it just a very good game? Yeah. Is it new? Is it, did they they redefine no, uh, no shooters or VR no. games, or it just yeah. feels good to throw grenades. Is that the? It's pitch? just good. It's like, just good. Um, it's good as hell. Like it's just. It's just a really good game, and I think that was also true. Exactly. Like, Half Life and Half Life Two felt revo- off revolutionary in retrospect, right? Like, what does revolutionary mean? Like, sure, maybe it's possible. You look back at Alex as like a very important moment in time for VR design, or or the excitement around Half Life got so many people into VR that. You know, I think there was a thought that, oh, once VR comes along, there'll be big franchises that get in and, you know, uh, get into it. And that'll, like, make, like, a mass culmination of interest. And, like, that didn't – that hasn't really happened. There's been some scattered, you know, uh, hey, here's a Kingdom Hearts VR experience. You want to look at a JPEG (laughs) for, like, 20 minutes? Um, That's a 3D environment that you were in. Yeah. Uh, 3D JPEGs well, revolutionizing. Rob <laughs> wants to push back, I think, on some of this. Oh, Go ahead, Rob. Look, I've heard many things that I find objectionable here. <laughs> let's, I'm opening. Uh, let's open the floor. Uh, we'll, the, 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 the chair here's Mr. Zachney. Uh, first of all, Emmanuel, I think, I think you replaying these games so recently has actually misled you, my friend. I Go think ahead. you're looking at them now and you're saying... This doesn't seem all that revolutionary. And of course, now it doesn't. Every game's gone to school on each of these games for, you know, about 10 years, 20 years. Uh, But I do think certainly the first game was revolutionary in terms of how it told its how how it told the story. There's a discontinuity in FPS narrative design around Half-Life. Uh, that exists because people basically saw a game that never like never broke, never changed levels, like it was seamless and it had all these moments. Like I do think that was revolutionary. It's just that its revolution became commonplace. And yeah, I think that's the thing that gets unkind to it. Well, I think that didn't Quake 2 come out earlier? Didn't it come out before Half-Life 2? Well, yeah, because it was a Quake 2 engine-derived game. Right. Yeah. So but Quake 2 did a lot of what Half-Life did. It's just that Half-Life did it better. 
Whoa! Okay, you know what? This is, there are takes, there are hot takes, and then there are what's happening right now. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna have to call my daughter down here. She's gonna <laughs> scold you. Like the story of the Strog? Or no, 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 no. Like, it's not the story. It's it's the issue of continuity. It's like to to Rob's point. It's like mm. up until Half Life, people felt like games were broken into levels. Like it's Doom, and I jump into a level, and I get the red key, and I get the yellow key, and then I push a button, and then we go to the next level. And what Half Life did is it felt like one continuous world and one continuous space that felt real, and I agree, like that was, they did it very well, but Quake 2 was actually starting to do some of that. It's like, it, it didn't break it into levels. It's like, I'm going to this facility and to get there, I have to go through this part of the base. And it's like, it was all one connected yeah, space. But I think that, I think the ambitions are so different. Like Quake 2 never has any interest in you buying that like you are in a place that you are a person in a place where like things happen like you're in a fucking strong meat factory or whatever the fuck they have, whatever they are but it's, it's very classic in design of like industry torture devices uh beyond that first level where you get guys screaming over the radio about like oh the strong are kicking our asses uh the story doesn't really like there isn't much storytelling whereas i think half-life throughout it it's that storytelling is part of the experience, right? Like Quake pretty much after that first Quake 2, after that first level, basically sends you on your merry way and is like, go fuck up these monsters. And that's there we are, there's Quake. Whereas Half-Life is constantly breaking in and like saying, ah, here's the next part of the story unfolding, right? Uh everyone's saying, ah, the government's <laughs> going to come and help us out. Yeah. Spoiler, I, they don't, and you see that play out very I mean, I don't I don't want to turn this into two old men arguing about No, 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 Quake no, wait. Two. It's gonna be three. It's gonna be three. Wait a second. That's our new podcast. Two old men. Okay. Arguing Wait about a second. Quake I, if I can do the most waypoint thing possible here. Okay. Uh -huh. Oh no, I'm gonna hate this too. <laughs> Are you? Are you? Because uh, um, right. I feel I feel like there's an oblique hot take coming. I, it's not like, a hot I, take. Well, it is. All right. It is. It's it is. not a hot take. This is, like, this is like Austin's going to get gravity assistance by traveling around like <laughs> Jupiter, and he's going to come back from a different angle. I do. I have. I have like six different wiki tabs open to check dates on things. Wow. Okay, go for it. So, is it that? Is it that Half Life gets the credit? for what the immersive sim, the emerging immersive sim was already doing. System Shock. Yes. Thank you, Emmanuel. Thank you. System Shock is out in don't 19... Ever, don't ever do that hand motion again. <laughs> system Shock is out in 1994. Ultima Underworld is out in 1992. But you don't have rocket launchers, dog. You don't get to just, like, shoot stuff. Um, a month, a month after Half-Life, guess what comes out, Rob? Thief. Yeah. Thief comes out a month after Half-Life. I'm not saying Half-Life isn't a good game, but Half-Life was lifting from a, a, an emerging space and, turn, and making it an action game. Um, but I don't know that that stuff was revolutionary so much as revolutionary to the sorts of players who were not going to go play Ultima Underworld or System Shock 1, uh, and who would go play System Shock 2, which came out the next year and was likely mid-development by the time, by November 1998. Um, which is interesting because I think it, it might just actually be what we're doing is challenging what we think of as revolutions in video games, because in fact what happens is a big game comes out and everyone goes, that's the one that did it, when in fact there was a, it's what, it's what Patrick said about Half-Life Alex, like, you know, 20 minutes ago, which was that yeah, a lot, a lot a of his mechanics are not, are, yes. are, you know, I was taught, uh, uh, Matthew Galt, uh, was also playing this at the same time I was playing it. And like the, the, uh, I was talking about all oh, these mechanics are super cool. Like I, I haven't seen anything like this. He's like, yeah, 
Like this was in Y, this was in X, yep. like this was in Z. And it's like, this is it's just a very polished, really great take on all those dropped into massive production values and exquisite level design and pacing, but that it's not, you know, there's individual component and not that Valve didn't do its own work and right. Course, like it's not course, to take away from anything, <clears throat> putting all that stuff together in that package is, is difficult in and of itself. But I, I think there, there is something to be said of like, yeah, like there's often there is something in the air and maybe one of the, the so magics Valve, of Valve is, Valve is, is their ability to culminate it. Valve is the apple of game developers. I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> I think that is, I think that is. Austin, also to also to Valve's credit, Austin, is that like at the time I was aware of those games and I tried to play them. Right. And at, at that point, like the age I was and like my interest and my attention span, it's like I thought I, they were cool. There was a reason I tried them, but I was like, they, it was too complicated. It was like too much. No, for I me. get it. Whereas Half-Life made it really accessible, like some of the same ideas, but like more accessible, something I could like easily jump into and play. And a cool ass sci-fi story. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I fucking love the mythology of one. Half-Life. Yeah. <laughs> no, is one of my favorite characters ever. So, but I think here's a thing that I'm wondering about with, with Alex though, is I feel like with every VR game, every VR experience, there's always a huge but, right? Like there was always a question of, okay, is this the one to justify both a harder question is, like, is this the one to justify me getting this? Maybe the more direct question is, is this the one that justifies the decision to make a game in this medium, right? Does does it do enough that you, you play this and it doesn't feel like a jankier or compromised version of something you'd have rather played in a more traditional format? Does it sort of stand on its own and feel like... Uh, a good game on the merits that makes VR feel less like an intrusive presence in my relationship between me and the game. Like, does this does this get there? Yeah, this there's a reason they set it as a prequel. I think it was intentional because, for one, just to revisit Half Life and say, "Cool, let's just pick up where we left off," and like, we'll just we'll just keep going. It just would have been strange. And by setting it in a prequel where the vast majority of the narrative is Alex s- separated from all, like what's going on. Like it's feels, it, it, it feels like a side story on purpose. We're like, cool, we can appropriate a bunch of half-life iconography and nostalgia without all of the pressure that goes into like pushing the ball forward. I think it justifies itself. Like, absolutely. I mean, I don't the VR feels, um, does not just feel like an add on. It feels like if, if it feels like they, it feels more like, they came up with a bunch of cool ideas and then said, oh, what if we dropped this into Half-Life as opposed to let's make a Half-Life game and then, oh, if we put it in VR, at least there's a spin on it. And it, it very much feels like the Half-Life part came later and that they worked in how that would function within the trappings of Half-Life, um, um, which is not to say this game, you know, I'm, I'm very reluctant to say much about the mythology except that uh, like f- – Long, long-time fans will be happy with things they experience in um, Alex without getting into any details of what what that is. But um, I well, had big smiles on my face at, throughout the game. I think maybe the more pointedly, I'm curious about a thing I would run into with Track IR, for instance, is that thing mm-hmm. would fall out of calibration a lot, right? Yeah, uh, where you know it was a head tracker, but like. At some point you'd be playing, you'd realize some sort of like some sort of calibration drift had happened and like things weren't quite lining up and it suddenly you were taken out of the moment. The immersion was broken and now you had to futz with a slightly jankier piece of hardware. Oh, yeah, now, is, this does happen all that. the time here. Like VR feels 
like we're we're we've come like even in the you know what five years since like the original prototype of the yeah. Oculus Rift came out, like we've come incredibly far, but it just feels like we're also still incredibly far. Like which the Quest is the mobile one, right? The mobile. Yeah, Oculus. that's the one that's like completely. Um, or it's not. No, it's not mobile. It's uh, well, it's not the one you put the phone in or anything like that. It's just it's it's a totally standalone device. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, and so the. It does feel like Affleck Alex ideally is meant to be played in a big open space where you can walk around and uh, be sort of like unintruded by like the cable or the cable, the long cable that it has attached to the back of it is less of an issue because it's kind of like spread out on your floor. I have like a right. decent sized office where my where my PC is located, but it's not big enough. I tried to make the play space, which is like, you know, where the, you map out the... Um, the spot you can walk around in, it's just not particularly big. It's not much bigger than like the default circle they'll give you if it just like scans your room. And so I originally had the, the, the circle like right at my desk. Cause like, cool, I'm going to play it at my desk. I'm going to do it sitting because although I could do it standing, I don't really want to stand for 20 hours. Um, and, uh, I, I think that most people are going to want to sit anyway. So I should try and do it more actualized to what the average person is going to try and do in their, in their play session. And so, I, for like the first six hours, I had the circle set right by my desk. But the problem is in, in Alex, you are you are constantly moving. You are rotating your whole body. Like I was moving my office chair in circles without realizing it and looking up and looking down and pressing forward. And what would happen is that I would – the third time I like legitimately hurt my wrist because I like went to go throw a grenade and I was flicking my wrist because I was trying to put – you know, acceleration on it and just smashed it into my desk. Like one time I gave myself a cut because I just like hit the corner of the fucking desk. Um, And I was like, all right, well, I don't want to do that again. So put a (laughs) bandaid on and then like spent, you know, 10 minutes like moving the circle further back. And then that got me away from hitting any, anything. But what would happen is that because I was rotating around so much, at least, you know, in an hour, you know, play session, at least twice, I would have to physically stop take off the headset, um, like pick up my chair, unwind the cord from my desk. Um, you know, I've seen like there are solutions to this where it's like, uh, it's been a while, but like there's a stand you can buy from Ikea that like the cord, re- it, you're supposed to put it behind you and then the cord like rests on it so that it's like, it's like, you know, above the ground. Right. And I thought about buying that and I was like, fuck that. Who's going to do that? Like, that's yeah, not the no. average person. Like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, <laughs> Like if I have to do this again, I probably I'll I'll go spend the fifteen bucks on whatever that little janky thing is. But like it is still the case that VR like has a bunch of bullshit associated with. It. Despite the fact that I love VR, like when I when I you know Moss RE Seven, like I have played you know uh, Astro Boy from from two years ago. Like there are games are some of my all time favorite gaming experiences. Despite the fact that I consider myself not just a fan but like an enthusiast, like an advocate for like VR as a medium. Half the time. I can't be asked to put on set everything up because it's it's such a fucking pain and like that's no different when the the, the index is stre- a streamlined version of it right like it's got little uh, uh speakers that are attached to the headset that are like really really nice high quality speakers like it's it's it sounds beautiful but it's still got wires it's they still go all over the place like it's still like we're not in ten years from now maybe five years from now where you're getting like high quality visuals and it's just you know, like you pick up a phone. Like, I just want to put the headset on and just click a button on two controllers and play. And like, this isn't that. And um, that part is still frustrating. And I suspect will continue to be an obstacle for 
for people to check this out. Now, I don't know what it'll be like to like watch streamed or like watch a let's play. Like, I don't know how enjoyable that'll be. Um, but you know, there, there's nothing about half Alex is extremely well designed, but there's nothing it can do about the limitations of VR right. as a technology. And that's going to continue being the case for, you know, some time to come. I was really curious, just the nuts and bolts of how you played it. Cause it sounds really long and it sounds really involved, like really immersive in the sense that you want to play for long sessions. It's, I was wondering, like, what was the average length of a session and how did you, like, go in? Were you like, goodbye, wife and kid. It's like, I'm going in. Like, don't talk to me for an hour. Or, like, if you want to talk to me, then you have to, like, what? What? how, how do you play this? Like, how did you play this? Patrick wow, is such a king in his own home that when he decrees <laughs> that it is time for daddy to Family? go his escape machine. In the age of coronavirus, I raised my finger. Yeah. Uh, no, it was a, it was a, I'm it was going a lot to a of... better world. <laughs> I'd actually my rather go Jessica, to the world. Papa must earn our bread. <laughs> I prefer the fascism of City 17 to the fascism of planet Earth uh, that I live in. Um, no, it was, it was like I, you know... Uh, you know, this is all happening during, you know, sort of the quarantine. Uh, uh, I started playing this before all that happened, but then it rolled right into it. And so, you know, I was like, get my daughter to bed between, you know, eight, nine o'clock and then watch like an episode of a TV show with my wife. She goes to bed and then from like 10 to 12 is uh, the witching hour, the gaming hour, uh, <laughs> Clubbeck's gaming hour from 10 to 12. Uh, join me. Um, Twitch.tv slash Patrick Clubbeck. No, I'm not doing streams anymore. Um and yeah, that's about what I would do that two hour sessions. Um, that's long. But, I ne- but at the, but I never, at the end of it, uh, the only reason I was stopping is because I give myself a hard cutoff at midnight to go to bed because I don't know exactly when my daughter's going to wake up. And so I would have easily played for longer. I don't, I, I wouldn't have foreseen two, doubling it, going to four hours being a problem. I, I never got the, the, the only thing that did, the only physical impediment was towards the end of it. I was clearly using like muscles in my wrist that I don't use nearly as much. I don't know if that was merely a matter of holding the controllers, which are constantly gripping. So I don't know, like it happened around my thumb. And so I don't know if that was a matter of like muscles aching because I had, was using them frequently because I was gripping the controllers and it was just like a natural ache and pain from holding something like that for long periods of time. I can't exactly pinpoint um, that, but I never found the sessions to be an issue. And I could have easily imagined in a world where my goddamn family just left me alone um, wow. that I could have played for <laughs> six hours and <laughs> like had a, had a problem with it. Um, so uh, that, that was not, that was never, never an issue. And, but again, I'm also playing on the high end setup. I, I wonder if that's different on lower end setups um, uh, in terms of like the, the VR. Uh, I, I just don't know. And I'll be curious to see what the like wider reaction is when once the game goes uh, live, you know, later today. The other question that I had is no company or few companies have as much data as Valve does on what kind of PCs people have, how long they play games, what games they play, all that stuff. They have really good data on that. And I can't imagine them having data that shows now is the time to release <laughs> a very expensive VR game that requires very expensive equipment in spaces that most people don't have. And it's like, why did they make this? Like, why is this out now? Like, I'm happy that it's here. I want to play it. I want to check it out. But it's like, I don't see why this is happening now. 
There was a, um, mm, I don't know if it was in Gadget. I apologize to the, I just saw it on Twitter and thought the headline like worked. It was something like uh, half of Alex is like the culmination of Valve's anti-consumer attitude, which <laughs> is maybe like a little like, hotter than I, I would put it, but is not far off the mark. Because I think another way of looking at that is just that they do whatever the fuck they want. Um, right. Often for ill, if we're talking about, you know, like the way they handle like uh, various policies on Steam. Um, but I think Alex it feels very much like, hey, we want to make a VR game. And yeah, it's probably going to make some people, a lot of Half-Life fans mad because they're not going to be able, they're going to ask their friends for spoilers on the lore instead of <laughs> experiencing it uh, for themselves. But this is what they want to make. And so that's what they're going. It, it just feels very much like, I don't think there's any data that says now March, 2020 is when we needed to, if we just pushed the VR uh, uh, rock up a hill a little bit, it's going to get to the other side and roll down. Um, maybe they think that that's, you know, they're contributing to that. And I think some of the early data has suggested, you know, it's, it, you know, will far and away be the biggest VR game to date, which I don't mm. think is some great shock especially because my understanding of a lot of, like some games have sold really well, but like a lot of VR games have sold very poorly. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it'll, it'll be hard to say, you know, it'll be one of those things in hindsight. Like if we were underplaying the revolutionary aspect of some of Valve stuff earlier um, in the hot take part of this uh, podcast, uh, <laughs> it may be the case that we truly won't actually know whether this was the moment and it contributed to VR having a moment until after the fact, because I don't think it'll be something you'd be able to know as it happens, it would be something you would be able to tell, you know, uh, in hindsight. Uh, the just so you you know, you got it right. It <clears throat> it is in Gadget. Uh, it's Jess Condit over it in Gadget. Yes. Uh, the the head is Half Life. Alex's proof Valve answers to no one. Some of the social was about the anti consumer stuff. The the piece definitely makes that case. I just want to call out the the slug, which for people. At home, the slug is the thing that comes after. It's the thing at the very end of your of your URL. It's like if you go to like you know vice.com slash half life review, like that half life review is the slug. The, the slug for this is Half Life Alex Valve Steam stockholders boo. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely is, good. Is the boo has that been uh, SEO approved? I guess it's been SEO approved. God, you ever have access to a CMS and just like want to editorialize a little extra? Toss a boo at the end of your slug. We start advocating. I'm going to add that to our next uh, meeting when we talk about socials. Like, yeah. so I've, seen this, I've seen this being used. I think maybe we should get ahead of the curve and start incorporating boo to all of our negative things. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's 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 F Life. Cool. Alex. I think well, it's, thank it's you very for... good. Not revolutionary, but I think Wait. people are yeah. Is there a boat section? Mm, no, there is Thank no. God. Are there vehicles in general? The boat there section is not are... that bad. It's pretty good. The boat section is the, the I I place back, I stopped that game every single of the five times I tried to play Half-Life 2. Connor <laughs> makes the case. The buggy, the buggy section is also not. Like, the vehicle stuff has, does not hold up, <laughs> my, my guess, is particularly well. That boat was I remember, cool as hell in, like, 2006. <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. 100%. 2004, whatever 100%. it was. I was like, fucking A. Yeah, um, I can we walk miles and be in a boat. Tunnels. Oh my yeah. god! <laughs> no, no, as I don't recall, uh, no vehicles in in, in okay. Half Life Alex. So you're good. Okay. Um, in other shooter news, are, are folks still playing through Doom? Do people still have Doom thoughts? Rob finished it, right? You put yeah. published a review. Yeah. Cool. Oh, that sounds <laughs> weary. That sounds. That sounds like you uh, lost something in the equation. You left some of yourself in there. I left. I left. 
lost. I, what I lost was the joy of the experience, and I oh. do wonder some of that. Maybe there's a distortion of like having sort of compressed my playtime on Doom a little bit. Uh, but Emmanuel, I'm I'm curious what you made of it because I know you were playing it as well. I was listening uh, to the last podcast you did, and you talked about it. And at that point, I was like not quite at the last uh, third of the game. And I was listening to you, and I was like, Rob is out of his mind. It's like, this is great. <laughs> this is so fun. It's working for me on every level. And then I hit the last third of the game, and now Ooh. I'm on the same page. It's <laughs> oh, very shit. odd because it's like, I think on paper, it does everything that I wanted it to do, which is more of 2016 Doom. It's just that... um yeah, there's only so much of that you can do. It's so much longer, and it's <laughs> it's it's just the same thing with more tools. And yes. then I think, especially in like the last three hours or so of the game, it just you, you've kind of you've seen all the new little uh, gadgets that you can use, all the kill animations, and then it's just like okay, now do this for three hours, and it's going to get increasingly punishing and increasingly uh, monotonous and. I don't know. It's, it's like it kind of fumbles. I still think it's a very good game. It's very fun. It's like if you like 2016, you'll definitely enjoy this. But uh, I think they overspent themselves a little bit is kind of the, the my takeaway uh, at the end. There's also a few things that are legitimately annoying and like flaws that the original didn't have. Yeah. Um, to me, the biggest one is the game is all about momentum. It's like as long as you're moving and you're killing things and you're going from execution to flame belt to, uh, you know, uh, the BFG, it feels really good. I think it feels good the whole way. But um, the one thing that like brings the game to a screeching halt is this one enemy type that they seem oh my god really proud of. Like oh look at this like really cool different enemy design. It's the it's a marauder, right? Is the one we're talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah which is just terrible it's like there there seems to be such a big gap between how uh they think it comes off and how it actually comes off and yeah i don't know what do you think about it what do you think that how would you explain the problem with that enemy type um okay so i think i think the problem they're trying to solve is that the entire like Doom as an experience is actually smaller than it appears, right? Like they keep introducing these different enemy types. And this was kind of what I was driving at in my review. They keep introducing different enemy types and the dynamics fundamentally don't change. Like, you know, they introduce, okay, these guys uh, spam rockets and that'll keep you hopping. And it's like, yeah, but there's already enemies that do age, uh, area of effect weapons and and that keeps moving around and they keep piling different enemy types into these battle arenas and fundamentally once you've really figured out the layout of the arena and you sort of fall into your rhythm of hitting your cooldowns no matter how many they throw at you that loop doesn't really change all that much you know you're you're still basically cycling through your uh progressions as it were uh so they introduced the Marauder, and I think the Marauder is an attempt to solve that. And the Marauder is an attempt to say, okay, well, here's an enemy you can't just run away from and dance around and take shots at him from behind. Like, here's a guy that you're going to have to uh, maneuver around in a completely different way and is going to force you to control spacing. Uh, 
uh, in a way that none of the other enemies in our game force you to do. Like the Marauder shows up and suddenly uh, Doom turns into something akin to a fighting game. Mm -hmm. Um, But the problem is that it doesn't, it does disrupt that loop we've been talking about, but not necessarily in a fun way. Like when the Marauder shows up, uh, if there's still enemies on the map, you basically, you can't deal with him right now. You have to clear out the enemies so you have room to maneuver. And in the meantime, he's just like cutting you down and it's really, it's really punishing and, and stressful. Uh, it's yet another enemy that makes you feel kind of weak and fragile in this game. Uh, the other part of it is even once you've cleared out those enemies, the Marauder... Uh, so for people who haven't encountered this enemy yet, the Marauder is this fucking uh, Minotaur Viking dude, basically. Um, he's got a big, sh- like, invulnerable shield that if you just fire from a distance, um, he'll pop the shield in front of him and uh, absorb all the damage. Nothing happens. If you get too close to him he will take out a combat shotgun, uh, sorry, double barrel shotgun and like fucking blast you back. Uh, And if you try to stand at a distance, he will throw these energy bolts at you. You can dodge around, but they have a pretty, pretty wide cone. That's the other thing with this character. Everything about this character has sort of a hitbox or or an area effect that's larger than you think it is. Um, And the only way to get him is when he rears up for a charging attack with his sort of double-headed axe, his eyes flash green. And when the game, and when the character is introduced, the, the game tutorializes every enemy you see. You get a little video of how you fight them. Uh, when the marauder shows up, you're told, when his eyes flash green, shoot him. Okay. What the game doesn't make readily apparent is that the correct zoning for the marauder is really finicky. Like you have to be like like it's not stand at medium range. The game tells you like yeah you need to, you need to fight him at minimum range. No 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 you need to fight him at like seven and a half feet. It's finicky feet. like I would say like a really bad fishing mini game where you're trying yeah. to get like sliding bars to like land in the correct <laughs> area. Only you're doing it like with your entire body because that you're sounds terrible. Like, it is no. terrible. It's very no. bad. It's a, and for a game that like is very clear about how you do anything to a fault right it's like you meet a new enemy and the game is like here is exactly how you kill this enemy every single time it's like in this instance it tells you that and then you're like i still don't get it it's like i still don't understand it's like it's still not working i'm doing the thing that you're telling me and it's not working they also do so they do another weird thing which is um when they have you fight him the first time i think the weapon they use as an example of how you fight him is the double barrel shotgun Mm -hmm. That's actually a terrible weapon to use against this guy uh, because the reloading time is too long. So it's like like it's tough to make that work. And also the timing window to get max damage out of the double barrel shotgun is really, really narrow. Like if you hit someone, if you basically push that gun against an enemy character and pull the trigger. It will demolish them. But if you are just a few inches off, it's half as effective. Uh, the actual best weapon to fight that character with is the Arbalest. Uh, which is sort of like the plasma sniper weapon uh, that you get. And once I realized that the Arbalest would just lay that dude out, he became pretty trivial. Uh, Once it was one-on-one, he was a pretty easy character to deal with. But he was a huge pain in the ass to deal with because he always showed up at a point where first you had to run around like 
evading the guy while you cleared out the arena and got set up to deal with him. And then you sort of played this fighting game uh, thing with him. And he was a really exasperating enemy type. And to make sure that there's no way you're not going to hate this guy, I don't think the BFG worked on him. Nothing. I uh, know the the super sword they give you does not work on him. Right. So Doom gives you all... I think this is a really smart thing it does where as you get further in the game and it gets harder, it gives you more tools that are basically uh, like a ripcord you can pull in case you're like, this is too much. I can't deal with this. Like this enemy is too hard. And it gives you like several tools to be like, this enemy specifically, fuck him. I'm going to push this (laughs) special ability and it makes him disappear. And then it changes the entire dynamic of a combat or the ripcord just like you could just say i don't this it just vanishes them into a portal no there's a there's a weapon but it's like there's like three different weapons that are like going to instantly kill most enemies in the game almost all enemies in the game except for this one and and it seems (laughs) like to me it comes off as like they're so proud of how uh, uh clever and interesting the the fight against this guy is that they don't want to give you the out and it's just like, no, please. Like, the only reason I want this, like, super special sword to kill enemies with one shot is to get rid of this guy, and I can't do it. And it's so frustrating. God. Yeah. yeah, and the and the thing to remember is this guy will often show up toward the end of one of those long arena battles, and the game's not going to save until you win it. So the thing is, mm. like, this dude is often popping up at the moment where you're like, okay, uh, this was a long fight. I'm ready to be. And then it's like, here he comes. <laughs> and you're like, oh, There's a Kool-Aid me. man just busting through the. Yeah, yeah. And, like, and they start, the first couple times he shows up, it's like, okay, this is a rare character type. Uh, all right, I get, better get ready for this. Act three, it's like every fight features one of these assholes. And it is just, uh, it's, it's, it's too much. Um, yeah, I, I feel like those moments of like heated nonstop combat are really, really good. But I think the game really starts to show how limited it's, it's bag of tricks. It's, it's ideas really are. Uh, the longer it goes on. And the other thing I just can't get over, I was talking about this a little bit with uh, Cam Kunzelman after we filed our reviews. We were chatting about uh, our various experiences with the game. And the thing I mentioned to him was it, it feels so much as I play Doom Eternal. Like there was somebody on 2016 who knew that story was dumb and made that game good in spite of some of the direction that maybe other people wanted to go. And Doom Eternal is giving free reign to everyone who was like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to tell this, this awesome wild story. And it's, it's, there's so much narrative in doom eternal that I'm, I'm kind of floored by it. Like doom 2016 is like, Oh yeah. Who cares? You know, who cares about the story? The doom slayer just wants to slay some people. Doom eternal is like, let's go through this, this, this nested series of tragedies that span the ages. And we have an entire cosmology of how all these events and the various iconographies that have appeared throughout our game, how it all ties together. And yeah, it's way too much. I've been on the wiki while you're talking. I'm trying to find the shield guy is what I've been trying to find. Uh, and I've looked at all the different enemy types basically in the game. Um, and there's a lot of lore here in a way that I didn't necessarily expect 
I didn't. I like. I there's. I can't even read anything on this page because it might be a spoiler. But there was like <laughs> cultures I didn't know the name of that I. Uh, I'm not even going to get into it. There's more here than I thought there was. That's all. Uh, and it's one sad more, to say that it doesn't come together necessarily. One more thing about Doom Eternal that uh, I find disappointing, and this came up uh, in your discussion last week, which was about how, like, there's only two things in the game essentially. There's these combat arenas, and then you're kind of platforming around. And if you remember, like, before every game was borrowing from Half Life. Uh, the way uh, first-person sh- first shooters worked or, like, they were designed. If you go back to Doom, it's, like, all you have is, like, combat encounters, but then, like, geometry. Like, just the, the layout of, 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 of the levels was pretty interesting. Like, if you go back and play Doom, which I, I do pretty regularly, like, I do love those original games. Um, like, those Romero levels are just cool. There's, like, these interesting secrets and, like, uh, the way everything connects, it's and, and it, it's it's almost like Dark Souls in the way that it's like layered and uh, circular and all that stuff. And it's like there's none of that in here. Um, it just like I, I wish there was more of that. I don't necessarily want like a Metroid type thing where I'm like solving puzzles, but there is no geometry really. There, it's it just like I, I jump to this platform into that platform, and now I'm in an arena, and then I do that again. There's no actual level design even. Or like it's very simple, I should say. It's yeah, yeah I think it's there's a lot of illusory uh complexity to the level design, but usually it's in a manner of uh it's a bit like the Riddler trophies, honestly, because I just played Batman. It's it's very much like, okay, how do you get to this question mark? Yeah. And like that's somewhat interesting, but you're right. Like I think if you think about old Doom levels, and a lot of shooters from that period were like this. Uh, there was the maze structure to mm-hmm. a lot of those maps. And a thing that maybe Half-Life didn't do us favors on was Half-Life kind of got away with, got away from the maze, right? Like one of the mm-hmm. other big changes that Half-Life introduces is it's pretty linear. Like where you go is you're, you're pretty well funneled and games have continued to sort of move in that direction. But what you don't have is that experience of like old school Doom where it's like, man, how do I, where do I go? Like, how do I, how do I get out of this thing? And you get excited when you came to a room full of enemies because that meant it was a new place, right? right. It's like, Time oh. to mash the space bar and hope that a secret door opens. <laughs> oh, yeah. it, it was even stuff like, oh, this room is shaped like a giant star or like I'm, I'm walking inside a giant pentagram or it, just weird stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 This doesn't really have a lot of that. Um, and where it introduces the sense of like movement being a thing that like traversal that ma- traversal being a thing that matters is with jumping puzzles. And let me tell you, I haven't had enough of that by the end uh, as well. Uh, there is, by the time you get to the last act of the game, this place called Erdak, um, they, they just go full on jumping puzzle uh, all the time. And it doom's movement feels okay, but not, tremendous um the the doom slayer is not a nimble uh sprightly fellow uh and so being asked to solve like these series of really finicky jumping puzzles uh where the solution is obvious it's just how do i make this inert fuck cross this chasm uh without like plummeting his death that got really tricky in a couple places um one thing i wanted to ask you about though where did you come down in the boss battles by the end? 
man, I'm trying to remember. Like, there, I'm trying to even remember them. Like, there's there's basically two, right? Because the rest of them become normal enemies. Like, yeah. you're introduced to a new enemy type, and then he just becomes he he just shows up in these combat yeah. encounters. Um, yeah, I mean, the last one is not good. <laughs> it's like it's it's just uh, yeah. there's nothing to it. You're just unloading fucking plasma shots into a giant. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't want to. No, but it's like you've ever seen the. Um, I don't even know what the archetype for this boss battle is, but um, you know how like in a platformer where it's side scrolling, but then the boss enemy takes up the entire back of the screen. And now you're fighting something that's in the backdrop, right? Sure, and, yeah. And yeah, uh, it's basically that. Like, that's right. how Doom ends is with this really, like, old school, like, boss design where it's like, see this big bag of hit points over there? We need you to just beat the shit out of it, like a pinata uh, yeah. for, for ages. Uh, but I think in general, like, the, the game probably... I didn't love the boss fights uh, my, myself again because I think they get they're, they're pretty tricky, uh, but they also just feel so. The, the, in a lot of cases, they just aren't really what I'm looking for from uh, from from Doom, and so it, it always felt like a little bit of a, a a little bit of a mismatch. And I, I will I will admit by the end by by like halfway through the game, I was starting to think about like changing difficulty. By that last act, I was like, I'm done here. It's <laughs> like, like, goodbye. Goodbye, ultraviolence. <laughs> goodbye. That's not me anymore. I don't care. I just, you know what? Like, just set, just send the difficulty level all the way to the basement. Uh, that's, that's, where I, that's where I live now. Um, uh, yeah, fuck yeah, I want my Sentinel armor. That's, that's <laughs> how the game politely asks you if, like, maybe you've bitten off more than you can chew. Like, you die a few times on a boss, and the game's like, uh... Would you like your sentinel armor, sir? No judgments. Uh, it doesn't affect your progression. We just got this cool Doom Guy armor that's like really damage resistant. Seems like it might be a thing you need. Well, the game also has like the 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 one up system, which I don't mm-hmm. really. So the way it works is like as you're exploring around one of the uh, one of the things secrets you can find are straight up just little you know like uh, Doom Guy icons that you pick up. And then you can survive a death. You'll just spawn back in. But it makes encounters a little weird because it's like, cool, like you can like jump in, like barely, you know, die in an encounter. But then you're starting from scratch because, well, you got the, you had those two lives, but those two lives are gone now. They don't just like stack at a checkpoint or something like that. They just disappear. And what I think the game should have done was have a system where those just, if you didn't like if you should be able to, I don't know, get those back at a checkpoint or something or give you like choice in the matter, like make some risk reward with the the, the player with those just having, because it creates a, a sense of, it's just, it's just weird to like lose those because they don't actually really help you. Maybe yeah. they help you survive to the end of a level, but you don't actually learn any lessons about a combat scenario. When you get two extra lives, you go back in. It's like, how about what you just did? But means hard. nothing because you need to start from scratch and learn it all over again because those one ups were basically helping you cheat. Yeah, and also it's harder now because now no 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 more one ups. So yes. you had your best shot. Yeah, it. I don't know. It, it's it's a it's a weird thing uh, where where I've ended up with this game. Like I think the amount of it I like continued to narrow and. 
in that narrow sliver of the experience, I really, really like it. Uh, but to me, that's just not enough. Like, I'm just not that. The, the notion that it's a game that just cuts to the chase, it gets to the, you know, awesome ass kicking that we, that we love from Doom. Uh, I don't know. I, I, like, I guess this is ultimately what's driving up my review. Uh, there's a reason games didn't stay like this, right? Like, there's, there's a reason that they began to try to create more elaborate set pieces where you would see certain memorable things or uh, things we fit into sort of a, a memorable narrative framework because it's, after- it's also just like, it's a sequel problem, right? Like yeah. I think they stared down the barrel of, all right, you make a sequel to doom. What is that? And the, 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 what you pull from is like, you know, what they saw on the tool uh, on like on the shelf, they added complexity. Like it's just, there were different directions they could, but like they f- sequels inherently in video games are seen that they have to become more complex um, in some direction or another. And it feels like maybe the direction they chose is, is, I don't know. It's, it's the inherent problem of like video game sequels. Like they could have just done more of what they did, but they, you have to do that with either more bombast or more complexity. And um, I don't know. It just seems like that's kind of a lot of the issue they faced was just what even is a sequel to Doom 2016? And yeah. I don't know. This The one that they ended up with is maybe not the yeah. one we're all happiest with. So it goes. Um, there is a sequel that came out that I think Kato and I at least are very happy yes. with. I, don't, actually, I can't speak for you, Kato. Well, okay, no, I absolutely. You, Kato. It's been great. I love it. <laughs> Kato's, Kato's having a good time with Animal Crossing, New Horizons. Uh, t- tell me about your time with it so far. We're gonna we're gonna do a quick check in yeah. today. We'll be back on Friday with like as stuff continues to unlock and as as we get back on the pod uh, to do a deeper dive on Friday. Um, but for now, real quick, what do you what, what is your what is your early takeaway? Uh, I love it. Also, I feel a uh, probably the most amount of FOMO I've ever had with any of these games because House, wait, but you're playing it. What? I know, but, but everyone's a day ahead of me and getting the cool shit. And I'm seeing it oh, on true. the internet instead because I didn't do the thing where I spent my first night. I didn't realize that the reset, so Animal Crossing yes. has days yes. and it works with your switch clock. So the day-night cycle is based on real time. Uh, so when it dropped midnight, Thursday evening into Friday morning, uh, you technically had five hours there to get all of oh, your yeah. quote-unquote day one stuff done because the reset sure in Animal did. Crossing is 5 a.m. I thought it was midnight. So I thought, no. well, I should just get to bed and get up early in the morning and do my day one stuff. It turns out, actually, I'm a day behind everyone else on the internet. And I'm like, I want I want all that cool shit. When do I get all that cool shit? It's like, you got to wait 24 hours, buddy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Listen, I actually do think that that, that, that uh, has caused some not just FOMO, but like frustration because I think a lot of people expect you can do more in day one than you can do. The amount of stuff you can do in day one in this game really does feel like it's been perfectly tuned for a midnight release (laughs) and someone who wants to stay up for 90 minutes. Yeah. Because like it's very easy to like knock out, uh, you know, basically earning your early miles to pay off your tent. We have a spe- Oh, wow. Look who we have here. Hello. Hi. We have a second Klepik s- on the phone. Do you want to the- say hi? Say hi. No. You're not going to say hi? No. <laughs> you want water? Yeah. Is that a giraffe? Do you want to steal my water? That's a tiger. Listen, this is why I would not survive well in the wild. Is is that a giraffe? And then a tiger mauls me. Um, Is that a butterfly meme? It's a giraffe. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, is this a, it is a giraffe. <laughs> yes, I was right. Good. Want, safe. Safe. I want this tiny little little cup with water with it. You want a tiny little cup with water in it? This okay. Is all right. Amazing. We're gonna go. Um, all right, Jessica, tell everyone I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the podcast. Say I'm leaving. You're leaving. You're leaving. <laughs> All right, you can talk about GameStop's uh, uh, crummy uh, labor practices without me. Oh, they're bad, right. yeah. Say bye. 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 <laughs> um, we will briefly talk about the GameStop stuff once we finish our Animal, cross, our animal Crossing check-in. Um, but yeah, so I managed to do like all of the stuff I could do in day one in those first like 90 minutes to two hours yeah. at midnight, um, which is just basically... I mean, I guess it's been a few days now. It's pretty clear that in the early game, there are a couple of clear gates for progress. Yeah. Um, for people who've never played this thing before, Rob or, or Emmanuel, neither of you have been Animal Crossing people before, I'm guessing. All right. Mm-hmm. So I think you get the, you get like a, over the course of time, you end up getting an image of what Animal Crossing is uh, from memes and screenshots. And it's like, oh, look, people have decorated their homes and people have like made funny memes by importing outside images. And people have like cute pictures with their friends and all that stuff is kind of there from the jump. But a lot of the interaction is limited based on what facilities are available to you. Um, and so to begin with, it's like you two other villager NPCs and then the kind of the dude Tom Nook who everyone hates uh, who I hate more than ever with this game because of a request he's made um, uh, and his sons or his nephews nephews not his sons yeah. his nephews which uh, who run the shop um, and that is it and you have to earn miles uh, which is basically achievement points to pay off your tent and upgrade it into a real house and then from there you end up also you know donating um you know insects and fish that you've captured uh uh to to nook so that he can send them to his museum buddy who will eventually come to want to build a museum if you keep donating Mm -hmm. stuff and there are these gates that will slowly unlock more and more of what you think of as the animal crossing experience um and those have hard not just hard requirements like hey go get me 30 pieces of iron so that we can build this bridge or whatever um, though the iron isn't for the bridge, right? The iron is for what's the iron for? Uh, what's that big? It's for the construction of the shop, isn't it? It's the shop. Yeah, yeah thirty you're right. it's of the each shop. wood and thirty, 30 iron. and thirty iron. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, it also has this, this time gate, and so that meant that like I, I definitely saw people, you friend of the site Casey Malone, thinking that they were fucking up because they were not caught up with like where I was at or where other people who had become like very obsessive about being like clearing the board on what their daily objectives were basically right. um, uh, because it seemed like they woke up and started the same time that we did. What the fuck were they missing? Right. I think that that was pretty bad. And on top of that, I actually think it, it does not do a good job of signposting some no. of those early requirements. And to be, to be um, clear, it's not just that th- certain things only happen on, once the day resets. It's that even when you hit a milestone, you've collected all the items. It's like, it's going to take a day for that thing to be built. So if you miss, right that that thing it's not like it still happens the same day it's like no you've got to wait until the next reset even if you're doing it early in the morning the next day right even if you had somehow gotten the miles for your tent by 7 a.m you would still have to wait until 5 a.m the next day for that tent to turn into a house yeah um and that's a that sucks and also like there there are straight up things that i don't think i think it's very easy to miss or misunderstand i've seen a lot of people not know that you have to donate 
uh, creatures to Tom Nook to get Blathers and the museum stuff rolling. Yeah. Um, I totally misunderstood the fruit situation, the eating fruit powering you up situation. Oh my God. I destroyed. So this is the actual thing that happened to me. The reason that the reason so I posted some very cute pictures yeah. of my my house and my yard in Animal Crossing on Twitter yesterday. I'm very happy with them. Thank you for the compliments, people who sent them. Um, but the only reason I got there is because I actually fucked up and it sent me into gamer mode. <laughs> um, early on in this game, they tell you if you eat fruit, you get superpowers. For each fruit you eat. You could break a rock with a with a, a shovel to reveal the juicy ore inside of it. You could lift a tree out of the ground whole, put it in your pocket, and then go replant it somewhere else. And so I go like, oh, hell yeah, I got a lot of fruit. I'm going to eat this fruit, break these rocks, and start getting this, this iron ore. Uh. Except one, a lot of those rocks only had clay or stone in it instead yeah. of iron. And two, a thing I had forgotten because I haven't played an Animal Crossing game in seven years or whatever, mm. is... All of the rocks will drop something eight times uh-huh. without you breaking them. Uh-huh. If you break it, you get one thing. And so the idea is you could get the eight things, and then if you really wanted to dig deep, break the rock for a ninth thing. But that removes it from your island until for like a number of days. Um, and that means you only that, get one rock back a day. Right. So if you have exactly, four I have been br- rocks on your island and you break them all, it's going to be half a week before you have. And it. when you need thirty iron, and there are three things that can drop per rock, uh-huh. and the iron is the rarest thing, you destroy that that <laughs> faucet. I was like, well, I'm fucked. I can't. I can't come back from this. I can't get thirty iron. I have to wait a day for a rock to come back, and then if I'm lucky, I'll get two iron out of it. So I invested heavily in strip mining. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) one of the things that you can spend your achievement bucks on your, your nook miles are these, um, overseas, uh, expeditions to random proc gen islands where I would go and I've gotten very efficient at taking every last resource from that island, just demolishing it. Uh, let me tell you, when I'm talking about breaking rocks, I break every rock. I yeah. remove every tulip. Yep. I cut down every tree uh-huh. to the degree that I that can cut it down. Um, I, What's what else? funny every is that bu- I, was, I was leaving those trees up for a bit, and then I realized I was wasting a bunch of time hitting the same trees over, so then I started cutting them down. In order to, well, like, and different bugs them. appear... Different bugs appear on the stumps. stumps. So you want rare rare bugs, you want to get some stump action going. So you gotta cut them down. (laughs) I have like a specific like kit to bring with me when I go to become a terrible disaster miner. Just the right uh, tools that you need, nothing else, because you want all that other slots to fucking grab all the shit that you're taking. It is it is uh it it is so on its face in some ways, like so clear that what I am doing is like I want my house to look cute, so uh-huh. I am willing to destroy the world. <laughs> I am willing to go to these islands. I don't care if there's an ecosystem there. I don't care if someone else is like there are people on these islands because there are people. Other people are hanging out on these islands. Yeah, just like this is where you get your other villagers from. You go to an island and someone is like having a cool camp day. All they're doing is like maybe they're fishing, maybe they're hanging out by a fire. What you're doing is rolling through with the axe and the shovel and just destroying everything <laughs> around them. And then at the end, you'll have the nerve to go up to this motherfucker and be like, hey, Bianca, you're cool. You're like a white leopard pop star. Uh, that's sick. 
And she's like, wow, I love nature. And I'm like, you know where it has a lot of nature still? Not this place, my <laughs> island. You should come through. And she's like, that sounds great. Because she isn't programmed to recognize that I've spent the last 15 minutes getting every last piece of rubble from this island and putting it in my backpack so I can flip it for bells and get a slight upgrade on my house. Like, know, maybe she just has an enlightenment perspective on the entire <laughs> matter. And she's like, look at this strange visitor who is conducting improvements upon this, this wild land. I've recognized uh, potential. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I must. I must accompany this this steward of the land uh, back to his home island. It's incredible, and it's uh, it's it's I the it is again. It's so like bald faced in its in its meaning yeah. that it's almost it's hard for it to even sustain the colonial criticism, which is which is to say only because it's doing it. it's there yeah. it's on it's it's the text it's not subtext this is a game about like chopping the world down so you can get a better bed and not even a better bed because the beds don't matter a cuter bed yeah a bed that you you think for for two days you will like better until in a day after that you see you see something new in the catalog and you're going to import that instead like it is <laughs> it's unbelievable <laughs> anyway i think my house is real cute you can find pictures on my on my twitter yeah i've been having a lot of fun taking photos in this game like a lot um they're fun the multiplayer is fun i think it really behooves you to get like a click like there aren't guilds in animal crossing but you you're deeply benefited from basically having a guild uh, um <laughs> because everyone's shops get different stuff so it's easier to like go around and find cool stuff from your from each other's shops um, everyone's fruit sells more on other islands than their native island. So if you're in an apple island and your friend has a peach island, you're, the best thing you could do is take all of your apples, go sell them at your friend's place, mm -hmm. and they can bring all of their peaches and come sell them at your place and get a profit on that. Um, you know all of the... rude about the shop? For the first that? two days, they let you shop oh, whenever the fuck you sucks. want. Whenever this. you yeah. want. Midnight, 1 a.m., doesn't fucking matter. Timmy and Tommy are there in the tent with yeah. Nook. Just fucking hanging out, and you can sell and buy whenever the fuck you want. And then they uh -huh. build their store, and all of a sudden, these motherfuckers have a 10 a.m., 10 p.m. curfew. What the fuck? Why can't They're I buy sleeping. shit? You know what? You know what? You I know was what? mad at first. I was, I was I'm mad. mad at first. I'm only mad because they set up this expectation that I could always access this fucking resource, and then they take it away after two days. They were in crunch, and then they got out of crunch. <laughs> they they should have just the game. They should have just started like, oh no, Timmy and Tommy went to sleep. That's why they're not here in the tent anymore, or something. Yeah, to no. set up. Well, this need those bells early on they know you're staying up late yeah. they know you're playing until yeah. 3 a.m they don't want to close well the thing is they close at 10 but you can still sell you can still shit sell, to but them. you can't buy anything either if you have well, you to sell something from them you also sell at 80 percent only at 80 percent instead of 100 percent uh -huh. of, of what there's a shipping and handling Fuck. fee motherfucker i put it in a bin outside your door this is easier <laughs> um anyway it's i'm enjoying it quite a bit yeah. it's it's really charming i think play with a friend really helps this it's it's stock mar market time uh Fuck, the turnip season stock market did you miss the stocks? Stocks? stocks. Sorry, stocks. Did you stonks. miss the turnips? I missed the stocks. You missed the stocks. <laughs> you can buy turnips. Turnips appreciate or depreciate in value over the course of the week. Different markets have different rates for them. Again, a good reason to have friends uh, because you can go to their <laughs> their uh, market where they're buying turnips for more. I'm sitting on fifty six thousand bells worth of wow. turnips right now. I gotta turn a profit. Holy My, shit. My boys are not buying them. At, my, my boys are buying them at a thirty bell deficit right now, or, or decrease. So I have got to find somewhere to <laughs> offload these turnips. It's it's a nightmare. Um, I think there's any other. Oh, the last thing that having friends does. There's the you know the online thing, Kato, the like uh, the ATM that has like special 
things that you can order. Yeah, from yeah, it. the like catalog that ships something to you the next day. Yeah, except if you send it as a gift, it shows up instantly. Excuse me. Yeah, so if you sent me whatever your like KK Slider song of the day is, yeah. I would get it immediately. <laughs> what? Yeah. Fuck. Mm-hmm. Communism wins is the thing. <laughs> we're here to share. The sh- you know, we're here to help each other. Yeah. You want to give to others, right. and it, it turns out that's the way to do you get you oh, benefits for that. God. Um. So yeah, we'll check in again, but please know that this is this is the arc I've gone on so far. Can I ask one thing as Always. an observer of yes. Animal Crossing? Uh, did the moment that Stardew Valley have in between Animal Crossings change anything about the equation for you or is it like not that relevant um it's not that relevant for me because i had already been playing i'd already played some like harvest moon games some rune factory games i didn't fall deep in the stardew valley hole um i i mean i say that i probably put a few dozen hours into it but when i compare that to my friends who have all put a hundred hours into it or whatever that's a you know what i mean there's a difference there right uh, yeah, I put 27 hours into Stardew Valley, but that's nothing compared to what Stardew Valley demands. Rob right. probably has 200 hours in Stardew Valley or something. Um, uh, so that didn't change it for me, but I do suspect it's made the cr- some of the crafting stuff more um, people more amenable to it. Um, though I guess things didn't break in Stardew Valley, right? You didn't like have like an axe that would break. You didn't have to I replace. Oh my god, that's the other thing. I thought once you hit the last level of axe, it would just be good. Oh no. Fucking everything breaks, Kyle. Everything breaks. I bet you're gonna get tools by the end that don't. I don't mind it that much. Yeah, it's um, like because- fine. I was just like was it wasn't expecting it in the middle of a fucking island run and I was like, well shit. <laughs> well you can you can talk to the dude and get it get replacements. All right, for miles. I need those miles for more dog, tickets. You don't need those miles. I need I those miles like for more tickets mi- to go to more I islands so that I can miles. Just mine the- spend the hundred. <laughs> spend the hundred miles on the axe. Also, just build a new axe. Yeah, that's what island. I ended up gotta, doing. But it's just like, oh, yeah, I got these these resources here. I want to take them back, not use I them. I get you. Yeah. <laughs> I just wasn't. You want one hundred percent profit. You yeah. want no cost. Not on this at all. Trip. Yeah. <laughs> got it. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's. I've had a good time with it, uh, d- despite my more, like I'm joking about it, but I do think that there is something genuinely fucked up about it's about the ways in which it smooths over. It almost and, feels and, like it's towing satire, but not. I don't know. Like, there's like so much more. I feel uh, like that no, that Tom Nook says that you can it. screen cap, and you're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> no, like it's not. It's it's a, it's jokes. It's not satire. Do you know what I mean? Right. Sure. Like like you can a, a comedian. But every time somebody describes this, I come out. To, I come around to the point. Like when I, I had this experience reading Gita's review as well. Yeah. Where I was like, this is so out there that it has to be commentary. The game is right. Like. The text of the game is so clearly like, no because all of this falls away by by week two, right? This is this is the necessary cost by which you get to have your Twee adventure, you know. Like it, you the, the at the beginning, it's very clear because the costs are high and you need to go do this stuff. You need to, but like event once once you get through this first couple of once I'm at the point I am now four days in, like that stuff becomes secondary to the fun time, and so the message ends up being like. You know what? 
you got to pay your due. You got you got to get <laughs> this out there. This omelet is delicious. <laughs> this omelet is delicious. Um, I I think that the some of those jokes do land, and I think. I hate Tom Nook more than ever. I'm just going to spoil an earliest game thing. Oh, it's like day two or three, and it's 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 a request that comes in. Basically, there's a moment in. I guess I don't know. If it's necessarily day three. I guess that's the thing, right? It's day three for me. Um, that's day four. Yeah. Tom Nook in in uh, he gets on the microphone every morning. He does his morning announcements. One in the middle of his morning announcements, it's like a camp counselor type vibe. He's like, you know, gather together, everyone. Here's the announcements. Today is Pancake Day or whatever. It hasn't been Pancake Day yet. If it was Pancake Day, I'd be be, be happier about Tom Nook. He's like, hey, everybody, got some announcements to make. And then his phone starts ringing. Motherfucker, silence your cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> Two, he picks up the phone. Yeah. He picks up the phone. Starts having a and fucking conversation. A, <laughs> has a conversation. He makes a sale on the phone to, to someone else about the package that you bought from him. He's always like, oh, yeah, selling. we could set you up. Always oh, yeah. Be <laughs> That's what ABC. Always be, always be selling. <laughs> C-E-L-L-I-N. Uh, and he makes a sale while on the phone with you. And then you go talk to him in his fucking tent and he goes yeah man i just moved three more houses did i, did I say houses yeah that's right the, these new people said they didn't want tents they wanted houses uh and they wanted furnished houses furnished these motherfuckers so, get uh, furniture when they move in so <laughs> not shit. only do they get furniture kato yeah we have to this make motherfucker it. goes so i you know i could use a little help actually could you go make them the furniture for the resort package I just sold them? Get the fuck out of here, my guy. So, yes, oh. if there is some degree of built-in satire that has, like, been ratcheted up to 11, it's the Tom Nook stuff. It's yeah. the, like, yeah. this dude is constantly getting one over on you, like, employing you to do his labor, etc. But I don't think that that, like, washes its hands of the fact that the way to progress, the only way to progress is in, in I guess you know what it's Maybe not the they're, only they're, way to progress that, that that's why I thought I was thinking satire yeah, because you can just you could, wait you can wait till your next you could day just wait you could just wait you could just be two weeks behind everybody yeah, you or just, you can demolish the, the earth yeah it's a it's a test yeah and we it's failed a, it's a, and we failed you're right you're right <laughs> I thought about it. I don't know if you remember this last episode. I said, like, hmm, could you get through by da 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 Could you just not go do these miles yeah. and go to these, these Procgen islands? No, didn't last. I was on <laughs> four of those shits by the first day. I had a, a ticket coward. before the, op the, the, the airport yeah. opened up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I'm ready to go. Knock, knock, knock. Let me in. <laughs> um, so that's our Animal Crossing update. We'll probably be back at the end of the week with another one. Yeah, uh, I, we gotta Check. we gotta talk about who our villagers are Check and stuff. So we'll do that market. all. Oh well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, anyone else playing any games? Or can we can we drag GameStop briefly? Uh, GameStop has been bad. GameStop's <laughs> been bad. Do you want to talk about this? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to say that um, a lot of people who work, not a lot of people, all the people who work in retail and. Yeah food service and cashiers they're in a really difficult spot right now uh you basically are either out of work yep. or you're going into a very uh tense and potentially dangerous uh situation of work at uh gamestop is uh it's just a very bad example of what's happening at other places like a very bad negligent greedy immoral example of what's happening at other places and that is essentially like 
ignoring a lot of common sense advice about how uh, things should be cleaned and, uh, you know, what kind of foot traffic you have in the store and just ignoring those blatantly uh, because they just want to keep the stores open and have some kind of trickle of income uh, while all of this is happening. I think the example that really blew my mind from uh, Patrick's story is that, um, as you know, when you go to GameStop, there are these demo stations where you can play games. And some of them are just out there because GameStop chose to put them out there. And some of them are actually paid advertising, right? So yeah. if uh, I'm just using this as a random example, I have no idea if they ever paid for this. But if Sony wants to advertise God of War when it comes out, they have a demo station and they pay GameStop to make sure that the station stays out there. So people walk in, they try it, maybe they like it, they buy it. And what a lot of store managers and employees at GameStops did very wisely is put those things the fuck away. Because what is more um, <laughs> likely to be like a point of uh, transmission of COVID-19 than like a sweaty, gamery, uh, communal PlayStation controller, <laughs> right? So yes, just like, totally. Just, just put that shit away. You know what I mean? Come in, buy a game, leave. Um, like that seems like a safer way to do it. Um, and GameStop management sent an email out like uh, saying, okay, our stations you can put away, but the stations that people pay for, those stay out there <laughs> because they paid for them and we need to keep them out there. Um, that is just one example of uh, something they did. Another really ridiculous one that we did in a follow-up story um, is that GameStop was basically instructing employees to argue with authorities if they came by and said, like, hey, you need to shut the store down, that it's not essential. They, like, basically gave them a piece of paper to print out and hand to, like, a cop <laughs> and say, like, actually, no, this is an essential store. And if you have a problem here, call this corporate number and and take the beef to them, which is another just, like, wild, wild choice yeah. to make in a, in a time like this. And I think what you're seeing, and this is me speculating, but it's, like, I think for a while now, GameStop is just a question of, like, uh, what's the least painful way for them to, like, you know, shut down, basically? Like, how much money can you extract from this operation as it, like, spirals yeah. uh, out of business? And I think this is just a part of that, you know? It's like, you know, it's, it might be dangerous, but we can get X more dollars out of out of these stores while this is happening if we keep them open, um, which is a terrible, th terrible thing. A thing I kept thinking about as I read this is... um. Did any of you either ever read John Boyce's uh like uh like farewell to Radio Shack? Yes, I forgot about that. So John Boyce, uh very very funny writer, uh generally focusing on sports, but wrote this thing when Radio Shack went under about what the experience of working for Radio Shack was during its long decline. Because I think Radio Shack is a similar sort of business, right? What kills Radio Shack is the fact that um a lot of like electronics move to a sort of disposable model and yeah. the really high end ones are basically sealed up end to end and there's nothing for a radio shack to do there. And then a lot of like the do it yourself, uh, you know, gadget fiddling and, and self repair stuff also goes by the boards and radio shack is kind of left with not much of a business model. And they try to reinvent themselves multiple times, but what boys portrays in that piece is how, 
the cluelessness at the top and the recognition that basically the company uh, was in Zugzwang in in some ways, right? Like they couldn't they couldn't Hell pivot yeah. to a new strategy because uh, that was uncertain and probably money losing, but. Where they were, where they were at the moment, was also a losing position, uh, and where that all ended up, sort of putting the most pressure, was down the chain on employees who were forced to react to increasingly uh, bizarre dictates from corporate uh, right. as the company sort of flailed for a strategy. And the thing that really like differed in these two cases for me is just the the stakes involved, right? But in terms of what is actually happening, it's it's very similar. The difference is right now there's a pandemic. Uh, but it did sort of have the same vibe of, uh, like, GameStop seems to be in a position where, for whatever reason, they feel they cannot shut down. Um, which, in like, I think might be the clearest indication of how bad things are. Uh, because I got to believe if they still had healthy cash reserves, uh, they could, you know what I mean? Like this, this is a story you want to avoid, right? This is, this is a story you do not want getting out about. We gave our employees, uh, many of whom are young, uh, a printout from an email. They're supposed to show to cops when they, when they showed up to shut them down. Uh, and the fact they couldn't get ahead of that problem, that they couldn't say, you know what, we need to, we need to close these stores while we figure out how we're going to handle uh, COVID-19 is probably the most revealing thing about how high the water has gotten uh, for, for game. Just generally already. Yeah. I think about that radio shack uh, essay is that it was, it was framed around the announcement that radio shacks would be open on Thanksgiving day, uh, which is an interesting, which five years ago when this piece was was published, that was novel. Still (laughs) the idea that a, that a retail shop would, would, would cross that, that line, right. And say, Hey, this is one of the few things that, uh, you know, American capitalism won't cross is retail shops open on Thanksgiving day. We've crossed that line. Um, And in a way that, that actually is still kind of, um, it's it still kind of functions as a as a parallel to this moment because what you're doing is seeing a company like GameStop, which should not be crossing that line, being willing to cross that line so desperate they are, and also so poorly managed. I actually can't, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe that you could show me the numbers that prove this. I can't imagine that in many places, specifically places where they're not getting like super special tax subsidies and energy subsidies and stuff, that it caught that they were making more per outlet than they were losing in energy bills, payroll, rent, etc. Mm. Um, per day. I mean, they're paying rent no matter what, uh, at this point, at least. Um, uh, but I can't imagine they're actually they're actually like holding back the the bleeding that much. Um, I suspect I, I read this so much, especially their their aggressive response to negative reporting as like willful ignorance and incompetence and just like no we have to keep going the sort of the sort of thing of like panicked running where you're like okay i should slow down and take stock of where i am but i'm scared so i'm just going to keep moving um uh and and that doesn't really reflect well on them either Uh, in the end they have now shut down right like after some governors stepped in. Uh, I know that in California they were directly ordered to stop. I believe I read, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but in Pennsylvania threatened to take away their business license. Uh, which yeah, but what was the thing good? in Toronto? Uh, I don't know. Like well, on Friday, right, where like EB Games, which is is owned by GameStop, right? 
Uh, EB Games, um, yes, that's the same Maybe company. Maybe it's a different yeah. deal in Canada. I don't know. What was the Toronto thing? I missed this. Oh, just like it was Animal Crossing Day. It was like oh, lines down the block. Fucking god. Um, yeah, like that was that was the thing. Like this got uh, absolute like, national oh. attention in Canada about like you know they're in the same boat as everyone else like covid right, right, is everywhere it's a it's a health emergency and there was uh eb games with uh packed release lines yeah, they they are they are absolutely owned by gamestop still in canada i know that stuff gets weird sometimes where it doesn't line up the way you might think it would uh but in this case it's 100% right yeah no like bad maybe that's what the play was here was they were just trying to make it to animal crossing get that big boost uh which is trash, which is like cruel. Um, and I think we've seen a lot of that over the last couple of weeks. Uh, any other GameStop drags do we want to make here? I guess actually broadly related here. This is not related to COVID at all, but related to recent news stuff that we haven't hit. Uh, and related to the idea of PS4 uh, kiosks. Did, did anyone here watch the PS5 presentation? Mark Cerny's. <laughs> ASMR hour. Oh boy! Did you? Yeah. yeah. What happened there? I mean, what happened there was it was a GDC talk, yeah. right? Super technical. Obviously, not what everyone who just saw that there was going to be a, some sort of thing on the internet thought it was going to be. <laughs> it was a weird situation because yeah. I think a lot of people expected like. Something okay. I'll say what I expected, and I think of myself as an informed consumer just based on their messaging. I expected a kind of high end Keeley esque behind the scenes package, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. very polished interviews with Mark Cerny. Maybe Mark Cerny as our guide through the back halls of power in Sony and PlayStation, talking to the people who made important decisions and giving us kind of consumer examples of what their tech is. Um, and instead, we got whatever, 45 minutes of Mark Cerny going very deep onto what makes the PlayStation 5 the PlayStation 5. Ear canal uh, shapes. Also telling me he wants me to send <laughs> him my ears, my pictures of my ears. And I don't know him like that. We had one interview, Mark. I'm not ready to send you ear pics. Um, <laughs> the ears. I <laughs> send ears. Fuck off. <laughs> God. Um, the The... Takeaway for me is so weird about the, what the pitch is, right? Because Microsoft also did, like, not in a big event, but they kind of put out another another piece with Wired, I think, this like last week, and then did some, some like, sh- not streamer, but, like, YouTuber, like... Uh, Digital Anvil had their hands oh, on. Oh, did they have them? Okay. Yeah, uh, and they did, like, a whole... I saw people doing entire kind of, like... Um, breakdowns on on what was inside and how how state of decay loaded quicker or whatever uh which that's good because that game takes forever to load on on console (laughs) but i i left that whole week feeling kind of weird about the whole next generation because i don't know that there's much for me to get excited by is anyone excited about this next set of consoles Rob is like has a churlish smirk and is shaking his head no i mean this is like we like we live the fact that we live in a post Moore's law world uh yep. we have already seen 
like the last real leap forward, I think, where like you you looked at games before this moment and games after this moment, it was like night and day, was probably the move to to high def, right? Like that was yeah. that was probably the clearest example of like what was before uh, is clearly all technology. Now we live in this new reality, and then things begin getting more marginal. And there's still a lot, you know, resolution isn't the be all and end all, uh, but. Certainly, I think by the time we get to 4K gaming at this point, it starts to get really hard to just tell what am I actually getting here versus what am I paying to access that, right? Right. And, like, I mean, presumably paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars in uh, probably five, six hundred dollars, a complete ballpark guess, in a year when everyone is going to be a little fucking strapped for cash more so than normal. And most people are already strapped for cash. I don't know. Well, I. They're going to be stuck at home. True. Well, except, you know, until as appears increasingly likely, apparently we all got to go back to work. Uh, In two weeks. Somebody who's good at the economy. Uh, <laughs> oh. <sighs> so, yeah, we'll the see. The candles yeah. are our elders. The, um, <laughs> the big sell that that uh, Sony was making, the, the long and short, like for people who are only like vaguely curious, the very reductive uh, breakdown is that the the raw numbers on Xbox look bigger, but the big promise that Sony is making is that those numbers don't matter as much as what you do with them. And some clever some some clever uh, design you know uh, decisions have made it so that f- presumably first party games primarily will be able to like do near instantaneous asset streaming in a way. Yeah, okay, right. But there's this there's is the, the rub. But yeah, there's the rub. I know. Yeah, like so. And people can write in, correct me on this, whatever, but the impression <laughs> I get from something like this is Cerny's pitch is as you get close to the metal with programming for the next generation PlayStation, there's a lot of performance gains to be realized there. That It is a machine that can punch way above its weight. But you can do that because you're programming for a specific machine uh, with like a specific configuration mm-hmm. of the hardware. You can basically, you know, assign each, you know, you, you assign each bit of memory basically where you want it to go and optimize that way. And that's been true for a while. The The reason that multi-platform games are less efficient is because they operate at a higher level. They don't know what the, what the metal actually looks like. So there have to be intermediary programs to like figure out where am I going to pull these resources from? And that has a hardware overhead on it to begin with. But the trade-off is, a game made that way will work fucking anywhere. It'll work on, yes. it'll work on an Xbox. It'll work on a Windows machine. Right. Many Windows machines across a variety of hardware setups. Control might and have run like shit on a regular Xbox One, but it fucking ran. And it ran there and it ran everywhere else. <laughs> yeah, and so this this notion that, ah, uh, you know... If you if you truly unleash the power of the PlayStation, I start flashing back to PlayStation Three. Yeah, me too. Where it's like, man, you know, the people who really know how to program for it. It's like the only people who know how to do that or care to take the time are being paid by Sony. Right. And that's just not the lineup of releases that I think is going to carry the day anymore. Okay, but the order eighteen eighty seven. Oh I- yeah, hold no, hold on. <laughs> if that no. <laughs> Order 1887, 
I'm back in all the way. <laughs> all the way in, baby. Oh man, this you, you you guys have no idea. Like Cerny's a genius. You know, they got they got so close to the metal with this with this uh, with this game. Uh, oh my god, it's we like the Xbox is last generation machine. We just pitch shift the state this thing you just said to to make it put it in a major key instead of a minor key. Yeah, and you're just it's great. <laughs> So many games could run on anything, but this could only run on the PlayStation. Fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. To, to your point, it's just like we're talking about the PlayStation 5 and like we're in the weeds about low level APIs. Yeah, it's just dog. like we're not, it's not going like the console cycle and the excitement that comes with it is never going to be the same again. And we should just like, we need to let it go. Like we need to like, I very much grew up with that and I love yeah, it, course. but it's like the, the attempt to revive like the, here's the next generation. It's like, we're done with that. It's like, it's over. This is a new phone. Yeah. So where does joy yeah. come from then, Emmanuel? <laughs> uh, going outside, hugging. Out. Done. Out. Turns out, yeah. not anymore. <laughs> are we putting, are we hugging in VR? That's the new hugging. Oh, That's right. it. There we go. Touch it. 4K distance. hugging. That is it. Press X to hug. <laughs> Hugs in the chat, but I do think. But I think that does point to. So if that goes away, we've never seen this industry thrive without progress, right? Like that. Like this is an industry that thrives on the notion that tomorrow's technology is going to be better than today's. That the thing you're playing tomorrow is going to be way more awesome than what you've encountered in the past. And yeah, maybe already, like instinctively, we sense that's just not true. Uh, sports fans certainly are not do not have it better uh, than they've oh. ever had it before. Uh, but I do wonder, like, what does what does it look like when games is no longer running on the hype of next year and you know next year in the promised land? Here, here's uh, next, here's an idea. Yeah. So uh, for for progress that is happening and that like I would like to see is. Um, for obvious reasons, people that normally don't play video games are getting into video games right now. And a lot of people hit me up and like, hey, what should I play? And my answer has been uh, most often it's like, hey, just download this Call of Duty Warzone thing. And that is because most people that ask me have some experience with Call of Duty. Uh, the other reason is that it's free. And then the third reason is that it's platform agnostic. So it's like no matter who's asking me, the more people who are downloading it, like the bigger the group of people who are playing it can be. And that has been great. And it's been, it's, it's, I think it's like actual progress to have um, like Jason or Derek, like one is on PlayStation 4, one is on Xbox, I'm on PC, and I'm just like download it and then we're all playing together. I find that right. to be like really fucking great and like new. Like we, th that is so advanced of where we were just a, like a couple of years ago. And that's progress, in my opinion, where I would like to see progress. And I wonder if like this is the next phase of like the console, like the, the companies introducing them is usability, because right now for a person who's uh, buying an Xbox or taking an Xbox out of the closet and connecting it to the TV again because they're stuck inside, it is no joke to go from like unplugged Xbox that's been in the closet for a couple of years to playing Call of Duty. It's maybe like five hours. It it is it is so complicated and so hard and there's accounts on top of accounts and and passwords and, and usernames and it's and it just it firmware yeah. is I think the, one of the biggest things now is 
Like, no, if you want to play a game online, if you want to play a game, get ready to sit for an hour as your shit downloads. Also, good luck with the internet right now because everyone's yeah. at home on the internet right now. It, it's a nightmare. It is legitimately very, very bad. It's worse than it's ever been, which is weird because we're supposedly supposed to make progress. Um, and I would love it. I w- it's like the, the way I can see it going forward, especially as uh, these boxes become increasingly uh, lacking compared to a PC. They've always ha- they always have been in a way, but it just for many reasons, PCs are like more attractive now. Um, if it's just like a box with a button on it, you know what I mean? That just says like, go uh then then i I would love that that to me would be like a huge thing that would go button yeah press the go button press the call of duty button yeah what if i see if mark sorry had gotten up and had said hey everybody uh today we're going to debut a new feature for the playstation 5 it's called the go button and here's Emmanuel Myberg to explain how it works. I would have been, way, I would have just like lost the my little shit. animated figures in the foreground yeah. begin to oh tremble with excitement. Were and they like real? Oh, whisper at each other. Do we think that those are real people? I can't. No, those are silhouettes. Those are those, those are, are dude, that entire thing looked like an FMB game from the nineties. <laughs> like that was that was a that was a command like, and conquer that, that cinematic. Was, that was Roberta Williams PlayStation Five. <laughs> reveal oh god uh all right i feel like we've done enough dunking on that event uh <laughs> we probably dunked on that longer than we dunked on gamestop who actually truly actually fucking sucks uh we should probably wrap this one up emmanuel thank you so much for coming on uh always appreciate having your insight the quake the quake 2 defender uh, finally <laughs> Has logged on. Oh my god! Yeah, join my uh, my debate with Rob. That happened. My, uh, <laughs> it did. That was this episode, Rob. All time good take. All time. Uh, Kato, thank you for joining us. Obviously, Rob, thank you for joining us. Uh, you can follow everything we do. I'm not going to go through Twitter. So actually, I am because Emmanuel's here. Emmanuel, where can people find you on Twitter? Oh god, I forgot the URL. Wait on it. Wait a minute. What? He has a ask, URL. Ask, ask dot bargains. Ass dot bargains. Ass dot bargains. You forgot the URL. Great. How do you, I Rob? Don't know. Where can people find you? Uh, at Rob Zachney. Cotto. <laughs> at a underscore Cotto underscore appears. Uh, and you can follow me at Austin underscore Walker. You can follow all of us twitter.com slash waypoint twitter.com slash motherboard uh, for all of all the great work Emmanuel and motherboard do. Um, uh, Thank you to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You of the Wait, EP. Wait, the egg in Emmanuel's icon is cracked. Uh-oh. Didn't even realize that. Uh-oh. What? Uh-oh. What's going to come seeing, out? I got a new manager. Um, new man, new, <laughs> a new manager. <laughs> no, there's a crack. No, it's part there's of a, a long-running ARG for my account. How long has the crack been there? How long has this crack been here? I can't say. What's going to come out? I don't remember. So wait. We've all seen his icon. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Was there a crack there before? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I can't tell. Wait. Does How? the Wayback Machine capture? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. Twitter? It does. Because yeah, I was recently I was recently on there looking for stuff. <laughs> yeah? Don't worry about it. Okay. <laughs> I, was, I was. Don't worry about it. You go look at Rob. This is your. I don't have the authority to give you tasks anymore, but as your <laughs> friend, I would appreciate a deep dive here. Uh, shout out to Bowen for letting us use the track Miss You off the EP Pale Machine. Find out more about that. Waypoint.zone slash B O E N. 
I think that that's, I think that that really and truly is it. I hope everyone has a safe week. Uh, this is going to be the tough one, everybody. This is, I woke, I went to bed last night, be like, all right, I'll see everyone in the office tomorrow. Nope, no. <laughs> I will not. This is the week. Yeah. I need everyone to persevere. I need everyone to, to gather your strength and your endurance. This is the hard week. We're going to get over this hump. And then next week is going to be easier. And the week after that, it's going to be way harder <laughs> again. We're going to get through it. At least there's but, Animal Crossing. At least there's Animal Crossing. Fuck capitalism, especially Tom Nook's particular variety. (laughs) Go home. Peace. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. <laughs> All right. Good pod. That motherfucker said he's building a utopia, so, but also profits, of course. But also profits. I will say, though, I love that the Airbnb market crashed. Oh, I love so it. Rents are actually falling. I love it. It's so good. It's so clutch. Fuck Airbnb. Did you did you see some of the post? I don't know if that video was legit. That video seems video seems fake. But there were the thread was good because the thread brought to light real comments from real landlords who were Airbnb who were pieces of shit. Like that is it reflects a reality, unfortunately. Um and also just just land, landlords in general right now who are like you saw the you saw the post that was the like where where where's my wife's income going to come from? She normally takes all the money from the renters. And I was like, "What?" There was a the landlord who was like, "They there're still places open. They could go work at well, at Whole Foods to get yeah. money right now." It's like, "Yeah, motherfucker, so could you." I I do have sympathy for people who have owned like their own they they, they bought a second home at one point and they mm-hmm. they rent out their old one. Like I have sympathy for that, but at the same time, here's the difference. You can liquidate that asset. Like, if you're really that hard up, here's the difference between you and the people who are renting. You have an asset that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars that you can liquidate. Um, did you did you all see, and this is the last thing I'll say, the, the egg monopoly thread back in February? What? Excuse oh, me? No. So fucking funny. Um, it was, it was a woman who attempted to throw together a thread, put together a thread about how terrible it was. I think it's, I think it's off. I think she may have deleted this. Um, my great, the, the one tweet that the really ran that went around, but it was worth reading the whole thread. If you can find it is my great grandfather had the monopoly of eggs in all of China. And my grandmother was super rich living in a mansion when the cultural revolution happened and communism took everything away. And it was this like, it was this, the thread ended up being like, and then they came to America and then they like 
had to my family had to rebuild itself and america is a great country because i'm two generations away and they came here they didn't speak a word of english and now i'm i'm a venture capitalist or whatever the fuck she said uh <laughs> and it was incredible that it started with my my grandfather my great-grandfather had the monopoly of eggs that's uh, up there with the person who was like castro took away my family's plantation <laughs> <and all> its <laughs> workers <laughs> It's a nightmare. Oh, um, oh anyway, yeah, I, I feel you, Rob. I do. But now that we do have a new game, do you feel like they found something? <laughs> Patrick had to. Patrick has a daughter. There was eating. there was a look midway through that question of like, yep, here we go. Uh huh. Just bring Jessica on the show. I am. Yeah, honestly. It. Yeah. Let Jessica. Let Jessica free. Je- hashtag free Jessica. <laughs> let her speak. Let her speak. <laughs> let her speak. He can't hear us because no. he's not at his computer. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is so real. Oh, this gives me an, ex- an opportunity to quickly hit play on this Joe Biden clip. Oh it's God! Good. Is he is he alive? Is he on <laughs> camera? Green screen? It's not. That's not a green screen. It's just a weird camera setup. Oh, is it? Okay. I, it's absolutely like a long lens. Yeah, I can and, see it. And weird, weird lighting. <laughs> all right, we'll give it one more try. Sorry. <laughs> all good. All good. Uh, we have a uh, new policy, Pat. You have to bring uh-huh. Jessica on the podcast. Uh, I will the next the next time she comes in I will just I will just forego all attempts to get rid of her and yeah. I will just let her say hello. Oh, uh, wait, this is a different video. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> oh god. Don't okay. worry. Um, don't worry. Oh yeah, good. Don't worry. This that. is all cut. This is all cut. Um uh, I am recording. Is everyone recording? Yeah. Yes. Now I'm recording. All right. Uh, did Kato explain time.is to you? Oh, no. I just knew that there was a clap, but let me go there to time.is. 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 Got it. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to top of the minute. Or not top of the minute. That's not true at that all. I'm very tired. 10 minutes. 10 seconds. Top of the. Te- top of the. <laughs> I meant top of the 10 seconds. Yeah, no, I, I heard you. I was ready for it. I know you were. You, we can. That's, that's where we need to lay. That the next layer of challenge is. Solving a puzzle if I, before, right. like to know what the time is. <laughs> to know what the time is, or fuck that, we just all sink on quarter the after. This is what does it. it mean? Twenty five yeah, seconds. Exactly. If, if, a exactly. De- if a decade is ten years, is ten seconds a decade? I hate you. Uh, <laughs> let's do forty forty three seconds. Ooh, okay. That was too much time. See. <laughs> it's well, fine. it froze for me, so I just yeah. oh, Rob's count. camera's That's, back. Rob's camera is back. Yeah, it's got a cool Dutch angle. <laughs> Sick. Wow. The bad guys it's the gamer the angle. Batman TV series. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, All right. What is that? Is that a light? Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, back there. Yeah. I thought it was some sort of very large instrument. <laughs> yeah. Mm, that, that, probably but like, uh, uh, you know, if things get really bad here, it could be a weapon. I feel it like that. Be, totally. That's a blood. That's like some it sort of bloodborne. Uh, yeah. Uh huh. What are they called? What are they? What are the weapons called in that? The uh, trick weapons. Right? Trick yeah. weapons. That could be a trick yeah. weapon. Those um, bulbs pop. 
<laughs> oh, God. Little swords come out of them when you hit it's R1. True. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yep. Great. All right. <laughs> I'm going to do an intro, and then we're going to come in, and it's going to be good.